this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Angeles as we speak right now and uh, recording this intro for this really great episode that I recorded back in Brooklyn and uh, the next few shows on the podcast are all uh, conversations I did in New York City in Brooklyn at my house um, that I've since moved out of but uh, it took me a minute to kind of get back on my feet I was moving around and moving is a big process especially cross country so this show we have today with the one Breezley Bruin uh, many of you know of him from the Juggernauts, of course. We opened the show with Clear Blue Skies, a game changer of a song uh, released in 1996, formally on Fondalum, the debut album uh, Juggernauts, self-titled. Although, you know, some of you know the actual story of the group. You know, they were originally signed to East West, and uh, we, we get into all that. In fact, it's a really uh, fascinating conversation. Uh, shouts to Breeze, who came through. I, I met him um through prince paul actually although i think i met him back in the day when i was at the knitting factory but on my birthday which is in october i went and saw prince paul do a little uh, uh production demo thing at this recording studio it was fun it was cool and he was there i said yo what's up man i'm a big fan we should try to i do this podcast and we should try to record a conversation when you have a minute uh he lives way up in the bronx and he uh, and he's a teacher full-time school teacher 
public school and um we finally made the time and he came through just pretty much days before i moved so uh in fact breeze if you're listening to the sorry we couldn't hook up and and, and i was going to give you some shelves some record shelves so anyway uh incredible conversation this is the houseless podcast my name is peter agostin if this is your first time tuning in thank you so much especially if you're tuning in for our guest i don't know if a conversation of this length and depth even exists for breezy bruins so you're in for a big treat if you're a fan of the juggernauts uh which is basically a, a group of him and his siblings um his brother and sister we talk about that. Uh, we talk a lot about, about, about basketball, about grow, growing up in the Bronx and New York City and uh, lots of stuff. Uh, of course, we talk about Prince Among Thieves, too, his collaborative album with Prince Paul. Very slept on record, worth revisiting, uh, among a lot of things. So we're going to get into this joint in a second. Again, if this is your first time tuning in, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, I've been doing it now for a couple of years. And uh, usually it's a weekly show, but, you know, life gets in the way for me sometimes. I got a busy life and I got a lot of stuff going on. So regardless, I'm going to put up a new episode as soon as I can. It's always on my mind. And uh, um, I appreciate you guys being patient with me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, And for the people that have been new listeners and subscribers, I've been seeing it uh, wherever you uh, find them, especially on the SoundCloud page. So, yes. Thank you, and thanks for your patience. Let's get into this conversation. I've said enough. I'm in my new spot in L.A. It's a weird feeling, and I'll probably talk about it a little bit more. Uh, I've only been here for a few days, so it's a unique and interesting change, and uh, it's one that I'm excited about, but, you know, also there's some level of vulnerability that comes with kind of uprooting from a place you've lived for almost 20 years and and, um, starting completely new. Uh, and living solo and all that shit too. So, so yeah, we'll revisit this concept further in, in upcoming intros and outros, if that's all right with y'all. So anyway, with that being said, let's do this. Thank you guys again. And you're in for a treat with the one and only Breezley Bruin here on the house list. And um, I just like to keep it like super casual, but I mean, there's a, there's definitely a, like a, a story that I want to try to, try to get because i don't think there's a lot of um like really long form conversations with you specifically about like your life and and, and your career and stuff like that too yeah, yeah. at least not Probably. very recently yeah not it, it, nah there's not too much of that for us right right which i th- i think is like very valuable because of the fact that like there's records that you've done that have like you know resonated pretty deeply with people you know um, and even stuff that didn't really get like huge distribution that still somehow by one way or another, uh, you know, people, fans, if you will, found it and have like very much like influenced a lot of people or affected them. You know, does that resonate with you? Like, I mean, I hope so. I hope people right, like right. it. I mean, you know, I, I, I got to say that I wish I did more music, mm-hmm. but for the stuff that I have done, it seems like people like it, and that's the main reason why I do music, Right. at least for me. Um, I mean, promotion and, and getting stuff more popular and all that, like, that would be dope. Sure, yeah. But you know when you make a dope record. Right, right. You know, like, you do the record, and you're like, yo, this feels pretty good. Yeah, you can tell and it's something. You could right. tell, like, kind of like, as you, like, oh, this, this is kind of the joint. Right. And then when it's over, you hope other people get that feeling. Right. 
And I've been lucky that a lot of times people have. It hasn't always translated to some of the, you know, the positive consequences that you'd like. Mm-hmm. But after it's done and you feel good, like that's kind of the biggest hurdle. Right, right. And I just keep wanting, keep wanting to do that. Would I like people to, you know, obviously, you know, somehow um, buy it, digitize, you know, like monetize it rather? Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. But um, certain people do. Right. And certain people like, like it. And at the end of the day, it, you know, it's like I really enjoy this music. And as long as I really enjoy the music, um, you know, making it is kind of, it's its own reward a lot. Right. What I didn't, I guess I knew this, but I didn't really realize it, was that the Juggernauts is basically like your brother and sister. Yeah, yeah. Essentially. Um, I mean, uh, was it, how did that even, like, I like to kind of even trace that back as far as like a family thing. Because you're, you're born in New York City or you're born? Yeah, we're born in the Bronx. Okay. But what part of the Bronx do you guys Northeast. From? Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I figured it was somewhere in this, definitely in the northern part because I yeah, know yeah. there's like some connection to Westchester area too. Yeah, like. definitely. Um, we, yeah, we're definitely on the borderline. Like literally, our block growing up. If you crossed over, like if you went out my house, walked down the block, and made a left, like one block up was Mount Vernon. Oh wow! So, so on the subway was that the four train or no nah, the two? Oh, got you. Okay. Last stop on the two two forty first Street. So it would go all the way from Brooklyn all the way up. Through Harlem, through, right. through Manhattan, through Harlem Express, and then in the Bronx it stops like every block. It felt like <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was it was a good look. It was a good feel. It yeah. was very hip hop um, coming up. Um, I felt very fortunate for that. Um, and everybody's like, "Oh yeah, you're on the borderline of Westchester County." But if you know Mount Vernon, it it did not feel that different. Um, no, not at all. It still feels like parts of the boroughs of New York City. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's, yeah. It has its own vibe. Uh, the thing I will say about Mount Vernon is everybody is everybody's cousin. Mm-hmm. So it's <laughs> like somebody is somebody's cousin. So Mount Vernon, it's like it's very, there's a family vibe up there. Um, I mean, a very rich history in hip hop as well. Yeah, hip hop, um, black black history in general. Um, well, is Denzel Washington's from Mount Vernon? Denzel's from Mount Vernon. Um, I mean. A lot of people have lived in Mount Vernon. Um, Nina Simone had a house in Mount oh, Vernon. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of like, you know, there's parts of New York and, you know, there's like parts of Queens where, like, you know, um, Jackie Robinson lived and James Brown had a house. Right. Mount Vernon was kind of the same thing like that. Honestly, it was, and it was, when I was growing up, it was very, very black. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, my area was very black as well, but I saw, like, like I, I kind of witnessed the white flight. The side of Mount Vernon I grew up next to, they had long, the flight happened before right, right. before I was there. So it was pretty much all black. So it was cool. And as a kid, you don't, you don't care. It's like, there's not a line in the street where it's like, you know, the Bronx, Westchester, you just go play. And, like, right. They had a lot, a lot of good ball players from Mount Vernon, so we would go and play at um, the courts over there by the projects, and then we would meet cats, and then they would come and play by us in our courts. So it felt like one big neighborhood. Um, and as far as the Bronx side, we went down like as far as like maybe Gun Hill. Okay. Yeah. So like from 241st to Gun Hill, it was like you know. 
that was sort of the like 40, territory. 40 blocks, yeah. Right. And, um, and then, honestly, the same way you had Mount Vernon, you could kind of walk over this bridge and you were in Yonkers. That was very, like, working class, mm-hmm. but white. Right. So um, that, we had some interesting experiences as well because you would walk off. Sometimes you want to... You would go up to McLean Ave because you would just know different courts. So yeah, so if you're tracing it by basketball courts, so if you're tracing it by basketball right. courts, there was like Third Street in Mount Vernon. Okay, there was another one in Mount Vernon by like I think it was like Eighth Ave, which was real small, cool court. But then there was court, this court, Coin Park in, in Yonkers, where there was good run, like okay. cats were balling. But we would walk up there. And it would be like a bunch of black and Latino kids walking up McLean Ave, a couple of white kids um, from our side, from the hood. And we would walk up there, and then we would end up playing. And I swear to God, every time we play, like, I know who would let them know. We always end up playing cops. <laughs> okay. And, and what, this is high school years for you, or what? This is middle school into high school. So from middle school into high school. So you're like, what, 13, 14? Yeah, I'm like 12, 13, okay. 14. And we'd go and we'd play, end up playing cops. Jeez, and we would bring our best plays because we knew we were going to end up playing the cops. Right. One, the cops could ball. Two, they were dumb physical. Of course. Right. But but it was, what was cool about it was that. Oh, physical meaning they were throwing elbows. Yes. And stuff. Right. You could reciprocate. Uh-huh. So you could like literally knee a cop in the nuts and he'd fall, get up and give you a pound and be like, all right. And then next time he would. Yeah, you know, he'd get like you. elbow you in like the small of your back, and you would like jump up the court, and it was all good. Right, right. It was never no. It was like I'm gonna beat your ass. I'm gonna beat your ass. I who won? I see you later. Please walk fast as you go back to the Bronx. Could <laughs> be watching you. Right. And these are like young cops too, probably. Right. Some like, young, some like middle age. Interesting. But that coin park was good for that. So if you want to, really, Italian guys or something, Italian or? dudes and Irish dudes. Right, right. But tough. You know, and some of them were good ball players, but that would happen a lot. Sometimes you would play like regular kids, and you know, it'd be like white boys, and they, you know, they could ball. Right. Um, so, we, did you do like an intramural league type of thing, or we, did an intramural league? Did those? I did one AAU. of those. Nah, just just regular. Like if there was a league, you could sign up for it. Right. You pay your money, and then you go and play. There was one McLean Heights, which is literally right, like right when you get over the bridge into Yonkers. So. Mm-hmm. I met me and my man Chris O'Keefe. We went and we found it. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of the only white kids from our block, from our area. And we went over there. I think we snuck him in first. <laughs> and then Break they, the ice. And then, yeah, it broke the ice. And then we got the thing. We signed up. So Chris and I signed up first. And then we told, it was in the wintertime. And it was like, we didn't have, a, there wasn't a lot of, like, um, there just wasn't a lot in the Bronx. Right. There wasn't a lot of tournaments or whatever. So it was like. All right, cool, let's go find somewhere else. So we snuck into that, um, and they let us play. We paid the, we paid the entrance fee we right. played, and then before you knew it, we were just, it was cool. It was traveling team or whatever. The really good kids are on the Bronx side played for, like, Gauchos, yeah, Riverside yeah. Church. Those are um, pretty famous places yeah, in yeah. New York City and A couple sure. of my dudes played for them, but it wasn't like now. Like, now there's, like, you could find an AAU team. Okay, gotcha. But back in the day, it was like, it was that. It was like Young Life. Mm-hmm. Um, Gauchos, um, Children's Aid Society, like there, there, it was a handful, but I mean they were bomb squads. Oh yeah, I bet. Like I tried out for for the Gauchos, and I, I made it to like the last cuts. I remember playing oh, with nice. Orlando Antigua. I threw my alley oop in the tryout. He banged it. Wow, cool cat. I remember for a brief period of time I was managing Sadat X, like in the mid aughts, so around yeah. two thousand. 
six to seven or eight. He was yeah. a ball player. Yes, and he uh, yes, of course, yeah, and played college ball too. And uh, for, for Virginia, well, first he went to. If I'm not mistaken, he went to Howard first. And uh, he went to Virginia State or something. Yeah, he went Virginia to Virginia State or. Yeah, he, or maybe he went to another state altogether, Texas, for a minute, and then he went to a, a college in Virginia, I think. Yeah. But during the period of time when we were working together, it was during these two albums that I did for him, um, he was coaching at Riverside Church. Yeah, no, nah, yeah, he's a ball player. Yeah, so I, I mean, remember going to some of those And games. that's that Westchester stuff, too. Right, you know? right. Like the Mount Vernon-Westchester thing, because it was crazy. We ended up moving from the Bronx to Never Show when I was like 14. Oh wow! Okay. And um, you know, I was like, "Oh man, it's whatever. It's going to be some, some white boy stuff." And a lot of it was, but then a lot of it wasn't mm-hmm. because um, you know, that Mount Vernon never show rivalry was like, "Ugh, really?" Yeah, yeah. But and they're so close; they're right next to each other. Yeah. Right? Now, now it's funny because I went to a function and my man Jolo's the other day. Um, uh, Jolo, who was in, uh, he was in um, I and I. Um, oh wow! Yes, from really, Mount Vernon. He's from Never Show. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we're older. Like he had a joint for his. Uh, he got a vegan um, restaurant. Oh, yeah. Ten year anniversary. And you go in there now, and you see everybody chilling. Okay. His cats are older, and it's like you know, it's like yo, it's like the West Chester, and even the Bronx cats come up. But as kids, man, it, it got dicey. Right. <laughs> it got real dicey, but it was cool. It was a fun time. It's like growing up in the Bronx. The stuff that I was able to see. Hip hop wise was just so invaluable. So was it actual outdoor jams? Is this or that sort of is has already happened, right? There was still like a lot when I was like from ten to like fourteen. A lot of stuff happened at um, community centers. Right. Um, stuff would happen in school. Um, stuff would just happen on your block, mm-hmm. and cats would battle and, and, and rhyme together and. Just kind of like early ciphers, but it was it was so cool, you know. I mean, we and Rick was the the main cats from my neighborhood. There were like three main cats. Yeah, because we're talking North Bronx, right? Northeast Bronx. The main dudes were. I'll just run them all. Yeah. Uh, Quayshawn. Okay. I don't know if you ever he was signed to Epic. Um, Under that name. Yeah, Quayshawn. Um, And he's. I mean, slept. You sleep over his house. Him and my brother would say. His brother James Carter, his his government um, William Carter, and then he became Quayshawn when he five percent nation. So it was Quayshawn, um, that's like was like a big brother to me. And then you had uh, Grayson and Jason. Oh wow! G and J, they were on Wickham, so they from that that hood. Um, and then you had um, Fat Doug. Fat Doug Fat was Doug, our MCA yes. for a little bit. Yeah, he was kind of uh, an associate of. Uh, Greg Nice's, if I yeah, think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. did a couple records together. And then um, Preacher Earl was mm. from Edenwall. Um, obviously, uh, Funkmaster Flex went to my um, grammar school. Wow. I remember when he used to be my, um, at, at lunch, this is mad illegal. Um, uh, okay. They would have the eighth graders come and they would they would monitor classes while the teachers would go to lunch. Wow. <laughs> this That's is Catholic hilarious. school. This is Catholic okay. school. Yeah. And he was the monitor? He was my monitor many times. Was he, he was, screaming on people like he nah, does now? He was dumb cool. That's, I remember his best friend was my best friend's brother. So my best friend was David Velasquez and his Edwin was his older brother and that him and Flex were dumb cool. So I remember like going to parties at the Velasquez house and Wow. 
early flex DJing. Oh, wow. So this is like in the living room or something like that. The right? Backyard. Wow. And, and they were cool. The Velasquez were mad cool. Like, their dad would, <laughs> I think he would, he would hunt and make furs. Wow. So David and, and Edwin, we'd be outside and, 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 you know, getting ready to line up to go in. And they would come in with, like, furs and, like, the, you know, with the hats to match. Huh. So they they were cool. I, yeah, I, that's cool. I gotta get on Facebook. I would love I would love to talk to Dave Velasquez. Shout right. out to you, brother. Um, so obviously Flex was big, right? And then um, Nine. Oh, I didn't realize that. Nine, okay. Yeah, he he was he was more from like the East Chester Project side, uh-huh. but he would be in the mix. And then um, that's interesting because him and Flex had that early record together. So. Yes, yes. Um, uh, Chuck Chill Out mm-hmm. is from our way. Um, and of course, Slick Rick and Rick and uh, L Swift from Natural Elements. L Swift, my man, yeah, also from the Northeast. Bronx. He's from the Northeast, and he's he's the same thing, just like me, because he ended up. I think he went to Mount Vernon High School. Oh, okay, and um, so he bounced back and forth, but we would see him. Um, and then, as you mentioned, Natural E, um, Charlemagne, the producer, mm-hmm. he was from Fortress Entertainment. They from that area, um, just west. Jesse oh, yeah. West is from that great area. producer, great producer, MC. Oh right, right. Um, Third Eye, that was Third his Eye, thing, right? Yep. Right. So there was a lot of you know a lot of, and there's other cats. I mean, oh, I'm sure. I would love to you know shout out to um, a lot of cats. Chris Medina is a cat. He he runs two thirty eight beats. Um, just just a lot of dudes that were were, were into the game. Um, K Terrible. Oh yes, yeah. so associate of Diamond D. Yeah, Diamond uh, Big Red. Mm-hmm. Also Big from Red. So these, nice. Yeah, I didn't so really realize a, that. It was a lot of hip hop right. going on. Right. Um, and you know, me and my brother and my sister were in the mix of it. Um, my brother still, you know, to this day, is, we got a studio over there, and I'll, you oh, know, cool. I'll run through there. I don't live in the Northeast no more. Right. Um, I live in Soundview, mm-hmm. but Slim, he still got the studio up there, and, and you know, he still. It's good to go by and see cats. You of know, course. Because everybody's, you know, a lot of cats still doing music. Other cats are not, but everybody, you know, a lot of cats are doing well. Um, and you got a lot of history with some of these and guys, it's, it's, too. It's right? a lot of history. And just, it was a great place to grow up. Yeah. Like, if That's you were into hear. the music. Yeah. And, oh, no, um, no, I can hold Yeah, cool. Yeah. But but the Mount Vernon side was cool, too. I remember seeing Hev. Um, nice. We would, we would often walk to 3rd Street in Mount Vernon and it was, and 4th Ave in Mount Vernon. Were those the main thoroughfares or something? Yeah. 3rd um, Street ended up becoming MLK Boulevard and then you had 4th Ave where they had um, they had uh, the record shop, fruit stand. That's where I got my first two-finger ring. Uh-huh. So it was like you right. had everything you needed because I could walk to Mount Vernon or I could walk along White Plains Road. Right. And it was very, it was very black. My, our area was more Caribbean black mm-hmm. but there was still American black Mount Vernon was like kind of 50-50 it's become more Caribbean black but I was a kid like a lot of cats were from down south and so, what about your what about your family or like have, have they been in that area for a while or where, where now my parents? family when they when I mean my parents are from the Caribbean so okay like my when my mom came from Jamaica she actually lived in Mount Vernon initially mm-hmm. and then um, she had moved to the South Bronx um and then my dad, he was living in Harlem. And then when he got my, you know, him and my mom, they ended up 
he he met her when she was in Mount Vernon, and then she moved to South Bronx. Then after that, they you know got married. We're living in the South Bronx, and then right right before my brother was born, they moved to the Northeast. Mm. And at that time, you know, like early seventies, that area was um, very. I guess it was still pretty pre- pretty white. They were probably the second family on the block. Oh wow, interesting. But by the time I was like. You know, by the time I, by, at five, you know, like I could, even even first grade, it was like our grade was half and half. Mm. And then by eighth grade, we had like two white kids in school. So you, we wow. witnessed the white yeah, flag. Yeah, you saw the whole, you, yeah. you saw the whole thing. But at the same time. What years is this? This is like. Yeah. This is like late 70s into uh, mid 80s. Okay, gotcha. So yeah. that was a shift. And, you know, I, I dug it. You know, it, it, it's still way up there. You know right. what I mean? It, it's it's pretty country compared to other parts of the Bronx. It had space. We had a backyard. Yeah, that, that's a um, lot right there, too, yeah. especially as a, as being a kid. Yeah, but it was it was, you know, it you had the projects there. You had the projects there. You, it was a we saw like the crack era there, um, so that was disheartening because right. it was like our neighborhood was just it was straight middle class, right. And, you know, certain people were poorer, but nobody looked at nobody. Nobody cared. Um, cheese lines was something everybody did. Mm-hmm. I remember, like, my mom, we were li- we had a wall of government cheese, uh-huh. okay. literally a wall of government cheese. <laughs> we would get on the line, and, she would, you know, we'd space it out. My aunt would get a bad couple, and we would just stack up. I don't right. know why we don't do government cheese no more. It probably did not, wasn't real cheese, because, I mean, it's American cheese to start with. Right. So it was some kind of an amalgamation. But at the same time, I mean, you made some good grilled cheeses. Oh, yeah. You, right. And my mom, you know, we used to grate that shit like a motherfucker. So. Right. Because it would be a huge block. Right? Yeah, it was like this big. Right. And it was, it was uh, cardboard, and then you would lift it. And then, you know, I mean, we literally had like a little wall of that shit. Wow. And that shit would last for, for, for a minute. Wow. You know, so it was a great neighborhood. Nobody was rich. Nobody was, you know, we, if somebody was poor, we really didn't care. Um, and growing up, basketball was like the thing for you. Basketball right? was the thing. Um, the music man, came a little later, correct? Uh, yes. I was balling very young. I want to say like six, seven, I started balling. Cool. And um, shout out to our man, um, Chris Alato, one of the only white kids in our area, but one of the better athletes. Probably one of the best ball players growing up, and my man Chris Bascom, who actually played with Walter Berry in high school, he taught us a lot. And I remember being like eight. He would bring dudes in the back, and he'd be like, "Yo, let's play." Me and my man. So he it would be me and him, and two burgers I never met before. This is, this is what we would call them. So because we they're new, because they're new or something. Or they nah, just, they were just, just sucked. They were just burgers. They couldn't play and. Right. I mean, my man. I think my man was hustling money. Nons, that was they were the, the nons. Yeah, right, <laughs> he's right. a non-ball player. That <laughs> Definite non-ball players, burgers, uh-huh. and they would bring him to my backyard. And my man Chris Bascom. Oh, so you got a hoop as well in the backyard? Yeah, a hoop nice. in the backyard. I'm, my man, Chris. Pavement as well, or it was bugged because it was like our driveway came down here, and then there was a little flat part. So half of half of the like, I want to say a third of the court, right. Oh, it was sloped up. <laughs> up. Oh, wow. I guess you could build up your calves that way. Yeah, calves did weird stuff, and it was like we. It was like a storage house, but it was concrete, and then on the rail and above, that's where the hoop was. So dudes used to run up the storage house and dunk on each other. Oh yeah, wow. So that was <laughs> that was cool. 
I mean, yeah, how we didn't have more concussions running straight into right. is beyond me. But, hey, it was cool. Unlimited range. We definitely, <laughs> you know, shot from weird angles and yeah, and, some fun, good, and some good yeah. ball players. So yeah. it, was, it wasn't cool. It was, it was a good way to, to come up. I, I want to change it. We had a little garden. My mom had a little nice. garden. And uh, it was ill. Like, you know, you made the most of the space. So were you guys, did you and your brother also, like, get into writing or watching movies or something? Because if you start to listen to the, the stuff that eventually would start coming out, as far as the juggernauts go, it's, like, really heady, deep, like, narratives and stuff. Is that I think, something that... I think it was just the time, man. There was definitely good cinema out at the time when we started trying to do music, but at the also, same what's time, the age difference between the two of you? Right? Two years. Okay, two cool. years between me and Slim and four years between me and Heroin. So. Right. So um, so six pretty, years, pretty, pretty close in age, yeah, pretty though. close, especially you and your brother, right? Exactly, and he started first. Okay, um, he definitely he started DJing. So I remember he did this. Um, would do shows. I wish I had the flyers. Club Quando, the Stardust. Club Quando was a little east side. I remember he did a show there DJing, and it was him and my man Sam. Did he go by Buddy Buddy Slim back then, or nah? He was Kev Fever initially. Uh, okay, yes. Now he's kind of Kev Fever again. And uh, it all goes in a circle. It does, yeah. And then it's, uh, and he was smooth lyrics for a little bit. In Never Shell, uh-huh. when we had moved to Never Shell, he was 16, they called him smooth lyrics because he had a lot of the females. But um, definitely, you know, um, it, it just was a good energy, but it, it was dark though. Mm. Um, you know, so I guess like Rick was part of it. Rick, the crazy shit with Rick was, I remember being 12, so this must have been like 86. Okay. So there were tapes going around our neighborhood, um, and it was before the album dropped. Okay. Meaning his, his debut, album, right? His debut. Great Adventures. Right? So maybe, I might have been 11 or 12, but it was early, and I remember mm-hmm. we had the tapes, and the tapes had um, Treat Him Like a Prostitute, Indian Town, Lottie Dottie, um... And I mean, like, adult versions, all beatbox versions. Wow, okay, interesting. <clears throat> so those were going circling the neighborhood, so we knew them joints. So we, I remember we went to basketball camp, Brunt's Big Apple basketball camp, which ironically was run by this dude, George Brunt, used to play for the Nets, and Ray Nash. Mm. Ray Nash is Pete, Pete Nash's father. Right, right, right. He was a known a, uh, coach, right? A known coach. Bishop Ford, uh-huh. he coached the Empire State team. For New York City. Okay. So he was official. So for people that don't know Empire State Team, what is that? That's the like Empire the, State Team was basically like the who's who in New York State. Um of high like supremacy. Guys? No. It were like bomb squads. Oh, so wow. you had to go and try out, but I mean, it was like on another level. Right. So you'd play there was a New York City team, which honestly was pretty good. I mean, when I, I remember New York City teams that had like Kenny Anderson and Red Orchard wow. on the same Crazy. team. And then you would play the Westchester squad, and for a minute, the Westchester squad was no joke because okay. you would have Mount Vernon, Nevershell, White Plains. Oh, all on um, one team. All on one team. Wow, yeah. And then you'd play Hudson Valley. It'd go as far as Buffalo, Syracuse. like, wow. And then you would basically, like, duke it out. Right. And it wasn't just basketball. It was, like, other types of athletics. Oh, okay. But the basketball team was, like, a big deal. Right, right. So Ray Nash coached that team right. as well as Bishop Ford. And Ford was no joke. They had they had ball players too. Pete played there. His brother played there. 
I think his brother ended up actually. His brother went D1. P played for Columbia. And then eventually his brother ended up coaching uh, St. Francis College. Okay. Right. I don't know if he's still coaching or not. I got to check. But he did for a little bit. Brian Nash. Good ball player. Um, so <laughs> it was at Manhattan College. And the, the basketball camp. So we would go up there, and everybody was chill. We played ball. Then after, it wasn't. This is summertime, too, summertime, right? Summertime. Yeah. And it was like, whatever. You didn't have no. We had, like, one TV where we would watch the shit. Um, you know, watch, like, the all-star game. Right. Baseball and all that. Right. And we played pool. And ping pong or whatever. So we would just run around each other's, like, dorms. Like, the kids stayed in dorms. Right, right. <laughs> so we lied. And was kicking Slick Rick's rhymes and claiming them. Oh, okay. <laughs> And then um, something told me like, "Yo, man, don't don't try that shit with Pete. Pete's cool, man. I I, I don't want to. Let's not let's not lie to the coaches. So we were telling all the kids we we were spitting, treated like a prostitute, Indian town, all of that. I think Lottie Dottie was already out, so we didn't do right. Lottie you couldn't Dottie. touch that. You couldn't one. touch that. That was already on the school buses. Right. But um, you know what I mean? It, it was like growing up with that and. You know, movies-wise, you know, Scarface and just dark stuff. Right. Um, that started to lend itself to, like, deeper type of writing. And I was just, I, I mean, I was a nerd, too. Okay. There's that. I was big on just reading, um, and I would write, like, my own little short stories. And oh, really? My pops used to make us, I, I mean, at the time I hated it, but I really thank him now. He would make us... Pick out articles from the Sunday paper of uh, the New York Times, but only like from like the science section. Okay. Nothing fun. And he would make us read that shit and write summaries of oh, the wow. shit. Yeah, okay. And I remember like, you know, at the time you didn't have Google or nothing. You had, you know, your dictionary. So I remember right. reading shit about, you know, cell tissues and getting confused. I mean, like being like eight. <laughs> yeah. So I would go to him. Okay. I would like tell him, people like, no, tissue is like parts of your body. Tissue about like tissue part of my body. I got right. tissues on my body. So it, it, my pops was always trying to push us to think beyond. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, so that's got to make a pretty big impression at that that young of an age too. Yeah, yeah, and like you couldn't go outside until you you wrote those. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, and if you wrote it fast, he'd be like, "Yo, nah, that's bullshit. Go back, start again." Right. Let's talk about I go back, start again. So, pops is a good dude. Yeah, that's cool because that will like stay with you too. Yeah, and the words, the words, even just the whole tissue thing in high school. I mean, I've I've been teaching for fifteen years. I've seen. Oh, you have? I didn't know that. Yeah, fifteen years teaching. Oh, that's amazing. So it's like, um, you know, I see the value in what he was trying to do, but it it. It would, you know, leak into the rhymes. Right. Sure. You know, I mean, because when you talk about cats like Rick, but, you know, Ultra Mag. Right. Um, you know, just these cats, you know, Daylight, these cats who were just really paying attention to their vocab and their styles and their approaches. And, and it, it only made us want to be that. In our own way. Right, right. And stories were just cool. So, you know. Yeah, it's a lot of stories. Like, if you start looking at that first album. Yeah. 
But I, but I, I, I love to know how that even came about because I know Pete Nice plays a big role in that somehow. Right? Yeah, he did. He he actually. Um, so we played ball, kept in contact with Pete, and then um, so Slim would just all of a sudden, you know, yo, let's go, let's check out Pete, let's go to 90th Street. So we go to 90th okay. Street, the Goat Park. Yes. And Pete would be playing there. Not the Rucker, though. It's different. Nah, right? nah. Goats on 90th. That's uptown. Named after the Goat. Um, Earl Man the Goat. Earl Man the Goat. That's where we would go and play and, and chill with them. And it would be him, his man Mark. And eventually, I started meeting Bob. Okay, yeah. Bobito. Yes. So, um, this is around the time. This is going towards mid-high school. They had Hoppo Entertainment. Right. And third base is already super established. Yeah, but the coolest thing is, like, I met Pete when I was 12. He shouts us out, if you look on the back, the credits of the the Cactus album. It says P.S. Breeze and Kev. Wow. So So then you had that name all the way back then, too. Yeah, I was Breeze before, before, like... (laughs) Really early on, I want to say. Basket, like, did it come from basketball? It came from basketball. <laughs> so, what, were you a guard or something? Or? I was a guard. Um, my man Chris Bascom, uh, he named me after Breezy Bruin. Odd enough, I I was like, I don't really know who this dude is. And then he showed me some of the cartoons. He was like, Nah, this dude, he's cool. He's a cool little dude. And I was like, All right, cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the breeze, so the breeze brewing was real. Like that was part of the initial thing. But I'm talking that happened like when I was like ten. Right, right. And my mom liked it, so she called me Breeze. She cool. called me Breeze to this day. So Breeze is kind of like a, a legitimate <laughs> like nickname right. that ended up being an MC name. Um, but before I rhymed, yeah, it, like Breeze came in and I tried the PS Breeze and I dropped the PS. And I was like, let me just go with the original Breeze Bruin. Right, right. Because uh, Breezely is hard to say. Yes, <laughs> it is true. And it's a little more percussive. Right. So um, Pete shouts you guys out. So then that kind of actually puts you sort of weirdly on the map in a weird way, right? Well, yeah, when that record came home and, and Pete, he was like, yo, we shout y'all out. Showing cats. Like, cats, cats were impressed. Yeah, cats were impressed, but um, by then we already were like kind of doing our thing, little demos. Oh, okay, cool. And you know, in the crib, and then um, we had met different dudes. Uh, this cat Chris Liggio. Oh right, um, yeah, producer, right? Producer, really talented. Um, multi- he had to be, Was he from up there? He had to. Have He's been. from Marinick. Oh, okay. Yeah, Where's so that, at? that is right above Nevershell. Oh, okay. So there's like Nevershell and there's Larchmont where there oh, ain't yeah, no black people. And then there's Mamaronek, which is kind of like in between. It's a quiet little town, right. but they got some, you know, there's some brothers up there. Because I know, I know his name from some brand Nubian stuff. He produced some. He produced brand Nubian stuff. He did some stuff for uh, Monifa. Mm-hmm. Um, he did some stuff. Um, he, he got his other R&B records. He got yeah. other R&B records, his own stuff. He's just, Megatown's a great DJ. Mm-hmm. So I met him through my man, Buck 50. So Buck 50, um, I started high school. I went to Iona Prep. My man Quayshawn went to Iona Prep. He played football. Um, my brother went there. I was going to go either there or Bronx Science. But we had just moved. And I was like, well, it's in the Rochelle. But it was on the total other side of the Rochelle, like northern the Rochelle. So if I take you, have to. It take would have been the same distance then. if I had went to Bronx Science, right. and um, like as a nerd, 
Um, I was like, let me go to science. But my brother was there. So I was like, I we ended up going to Island Prep. And now, like, Diddy's son goes there and different stuff. It's I only, a good school? It's a good school. only reason why I went because I had a scholarship. Oh, um, nice. Okay. Wouldn't have been able to go otherwise monetarily. But my parents were like, yo, you should try it. And honestly, it was it was uh it had its ups and downs. Um, we're talking eighty eight to ninety two. Okay. So, hip hop was big. I remember "Long Live the King." Um, a lot of that stuff was going on. But I had I went in. I'd known Pete before. Um, so that was cool. Some of the white boys were like, "Yo, you know Pete Nice." I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> that's my man." And um. It was it was hard because some of the white kids were really cool, and then others was well you know they were like yo this this ain't the Bronx we're rich like they were like rich right. rich white kids, and they looked down on the poor white kids and they definitely didn't like the black kids mm. so it was very racist right um and I I'd never had experienced that in my grammar school which was like like I said it was diverse initially. And then it had it changed, but that that ain't mean nothing to us. Right, like right. You have white kids who are your best friends, black kids who are your best friends. It was a good, it was a good environment. High school was a culture shock. Right. Um, but at the same time, the hip hop just helped. You know, they were like, like I said, certain white kids were dumb cool. The white kids from Never Shell, mm-hmm. like, were real cool with. All the brand Nubian kids, because the same way I guess how it was in my neighborhood, that's right. how it was for them. Sure, sure. So they played in, in, in on different teams, Little League and all that, with uh, Sadat, with Jamal, um, and his family. Um, everybody knew Poobah. Mm-hmm. Um And you know, it, it you know it it was definitely the transition. In in that way, was made easier by hip hop. Right, I can see that. Okay, you know because it, it just got to the point where culturally, you it was easier to find your people, mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. amongst like you know some of the white kids. It was like, oh, you know, they come up and what are you listening to? And before you know it, you know, it was like, all right, cool, we can we can have a conversation. Right, right, because I mean, especially with the albums that were coming out at that time, they were so impactful, oh, amazing, and shit. dynamic. So it's like if you have this common interest with someone that's sharing that too, because also. Pop culture was not embracing hip hop at all. Nah, you know? so nah, and it, it was, was a cool and, and thing. The cats that, and the cool other cool part was the the cat the black kids. You ended up pretty much being like family, like brothers. Well, I think so in a school like that too. Yeah, because right? the percentage like we were like twenty percent top. Oh wow! So, I mean, my man John Shaw, my man G. Robeson, my man Mike Youssef, <laughs> you know. My man Omar, just like a small group, my brother's people, um, my man Dean, um, Jason, just a small amount of cats, but we ran around. Like, we had fun. We ran all throughout Westchester. We ran all throughout Harlem. Like, Were you going to clubs, too? We got a lot of our ass from, like, <laughs> like um, I guess, like, these student groups. Right, right. Because you so, couldn't really get into nightclubs, per se, probably, right? Or we would sneak in, but okay. I'll tell you about how me and Slim would get into things. But, yeah, it was um, Jack and Jill was big. Um, that was like, Jack and Jill is basically like an organization um, f- 
for black people to like pass on different cultural ideas. Cool, okay. And we just thought of it as an opportunity to get ass. <laughs> so we would run obviously around. you can meet girls there too. Oh right? yeah, and I mean, it was like, bad. It was bad and you know what I mean? A lot of them went to all girls schools or you know whatever. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it was a lot it was a lot of opportunity to run around and our stomping ground was like from Harlem to I would say White Plains, even parts of Connecticut. Cause oh, wow. Okay. Luckily, I, you know, like, I had a whip. Oh, nice. Um, so you move around. So I got around. My man G had a whip. Um, and we would, you know, my man, did Mike have a whip? Well, we, we would find cars and end up running around. But the, the, the main spot was Lower Westchester, Bronx. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of fun, man. And, um, I mean, Chi Ali went to school with my sister. Okay. So um, that was one way we would try to get into things. And this is... Rolling with him? Trying to roll with Chi. Um, I remember trying to get into the Apollo. We stood outside the Apollo for like four hours. <laughs> uh-huh. And then she came out with dress. And it's like, oh, yeah, man, my bad. I, like, I see <laughs> okay. how it is. <laughs> um, but I remember when Latifah, Latifah was living in co-op for a little bit her and her, with her and her dancers. So we, we were just getting into a lot of stuff. Cool. <clears throat> so high school was not devoid of hip hop, even though it was definitely from a weird prep school. But what on the weekends you're cutting demos or something? Or how yeah, that yeah. So one of my dudes, my man Mike Miranda, um, knew this kid, um, Rasan Jackson, Rasan Jackson, um, who later became Buckwheat. Who he was on the first Farside album. Oh wow! And yeah. then he okay. and he was part of the the. Were they the Rascals? Or yeah. The, yeah, the Wascals. The Wascals. Yeah, so, Buckwheat, who later, when you said Buck 50, I didn't think that that's who you were actually 50. talking about. Yeah. yeah. So did, he's he, a New Yorker? He's from he's from Amerineck. Huh. Crazy. And that's how I met Chris Leggio. Interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah, so that's the first cool song I ever did in a studio was with Buck 50. <laughs> really? Yeah. Does that song exist song. to this day? I wish I had it. I know somebody has it. So it's Buck. It was like, yeah. So my man, Mike Miranda, was like, yo... Um, he heard me rhyme, and then he was like, "My man rhymes." So I was like, "All right, cool. Let me hear him." So we get up. I hear him. I'm like, "He could rhyme." And then he knew some. There was some white dude in in, in Larchmont who was like, "Yo, I'm gonna cut a demo, but we gotta." I was like, "All right, cool. So let's go." He's like, "Yeah, but we gotta go to Philly." <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Because stu- he had a studio Somebody there. Somebody had a studio in Philly. And we, I remember us driving to Philly. And we rocked the shit in Philly. And it was weird. It was like, but Chris Leggio came. It was like, it can't have no samples. I was okay. like, all right. And my man Chris Leggio went and he played like the keyboards, whatever. That was like the first song Dope. that I had did that from a studio. Um, after that, we would record at a spot in Dobbs Ferry. Okay. And we did some joints there, and then before you knew it, um, like when I say four track, I mean like real, like pause tape kind of four track right, shit. Right. So we were doing shit before, but once we had started working with Chris Leggio, and um, then we start doing stuff like in the studio, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> which was cool, you know. Like as a kid, it was it was exciting. Yeah, because I, I I mean, what would eventually be the record that people know from Fondalum? was starting to happen during that period of time, right? Some of the writing was, uh-huh. definitely. 
Okay. Um, I, I didn't really realize this too, but there's like the this Baby Pictures record that came out like some last of the year. Baby Pictures yeah. are actually yeah those were done at the spot in Dobbs Ferry. Got you. So that's some of the earliest demos. and uh, Chris's house at the time we called him Sugar Sugar Shadow, mm-hmm. and at our house because Slim had a nice little. Um, he had a dope four track. I don't know where that shit is. Um, wish, wish, Tascam joint. Right, like a right. Four, Classic four two four. And so we we between those spots we rotate and we we did a lot of music. Cool, cool. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I think that's like when. So okay, so then with that being said, like, how does it get to the point where you're like actually see Pete and you're like, I got finally have this physical demo, and did you just try to get it get signed to his production deal? Nah, his nah, it's crazy because on the other side, Slim was was doing his thing. Okay, he was doing his thing production wise. So Slim was out and about, mixing and mingling, meeting the ladies, doing his thing, and he was just doing like. Um, a couple of things were happening simultaneously. Um, <laughs> my uncle died, mm. Uncle Keith, and we were cleaning out his apartment. He lived like on 50th Street, and we saw a card as we cleaned out his apartment to a music, like a talent agent. Okay. So my dad called. He he sees the name. He's like, oh, I remember that person. Right. I remember when. Um, my uncle Keith. He was like, he's like, I remember Keith telling me about this person. She was in the industry, so I was like, all right, cool. Um, at this time, we had, you know, my dad was annoyed of us making music and was like, let's try to get somebody professional involved. Right. So that person, uh, May James. May James mm-hmm. worked for SBK Records, and she was in the industry a lot more before that. Very respected. Mm-hmm. She actually found Vanilla Ice. Oh, wow. Okay. She brought Vanilla Ice to SBK Records, and that that's definitely not her claim to fame because she is very respected otherwise. Right. Um, for, for promotion and, and just, you know, she's a head. She's a, she's a right. music head. Right. So she started managing us. Interesting. Okay. Um, so while she was managing us, um, I wrote... I started ghostwriting for her daughter Crystal and her partner Collada. Um, they had um, they were called Check One and Check Two, and okay. the song was called The Thickness. Slim produced it. It played. I mean, Red Alert played it. Wow! I remember her meeting Red Alert, her giving him the record, and then us hearing him play it on the radio. And I they're think kicking I wrote, rhymes. Yeah, I wrote them. Thickness. Huh. Let me break it down with the quickness. Brothers might drool. From the moment that I kicked this commentary, I am very plump in the rump. I've heard. Ain't that right? Yeah, word. I remember that. I remember writing wow. that. And it was so cool because at the same time, I'm 16, about, I think I was like 16 when I wrote for them and um, and she started managing us. And um, you know what? Um, she took us everywhere. So I remember meeting Red. I met Bobby Condes. Amazing. And they had maximum respect for her, so that just tells you, you know, where she was at. We right. would go to parties. I I remember being sixteen, going to parties, um, Michael Bivens launch party, um, for his label. I was there, mm. dumb young, going to the bathroom peeing, like Mike Bivens is here, like special ed's there. <laughs> uh-huh. So I'm just like 
it's, it's kind of big, a big time, peeing next to <laughs> some dudes I really, really appreciate. Right. So um, that got us in the industry, and Slim never stopped. So um, what I was starting to see, though, was she was used to hits. Right, okay. And here we were, two young, um, you know, at the time, right looking Mm-hmm. Little right. dudes, and it was like she was. She saw like, yo, this could be bigger. Y'all should do different type of music, because we was just like, yo, we gonna do these rhymes or whatever. So she had us working with this cat, Larry. And Larry, I wish I knew more about his background, but he had a nice little studio in the Rochelle, and we would do demos there. They were all definitely more radio friendly because he was running the session, and she would be like, you gotta be more think radio, radio. Right, right, right. And that's her mode anyway, right? Yeah. She was like, look, I mean, how am I going to make money with y'all? Right. Let's go. Let's get some radio joints. So we tried. It really wasn't... I don't even think... We weren't the juggernauts yet. I think we were the last romantics. Ah, nice. Okay. Yeah. Right. And... But Slim kept us... Kept running. So we would go to parties. He would mix and mingle. He was 18. I was 16, 17, and 19. We were young, but he just knew how to poly. Sure. So, he ends up just meeting with different dudes, um, different females, and he ends up befriending um, Monica from Terry and Monica. Okay, yeah. So, he starts working um, on their stuff. So he As ended, a producer? As a producer. Okay. So, two songs off of their first, their first video, which was actually shot by Brett Ratner. Wow, okay. That Slim met from then. Um, uh-huh. He ended up producing that. Oh, wow. And that was a dope record. Um, yeah, I got to go back. I don't know that. I mean, yeah. I got to go back. So when that. he says, when I busted Cherry and Monica and Terry, he's talking about them. Right, yes. So this was like early Uptown crew. Mm-hmm. And um, Crystal Johnson was our connect at Uptown. She actually got me an internship for Uptown. So I was at Uptown in high school. Um when Puff, I was doing an internship there when Puff was an intern, technically. But he was an intern with his own office. Got you. So and Andre was there as well. Andre obviously. was there. So I was kind of around when Puff was, he was so in and out. But I saw him a couple times. And then before you knew it, he got fired. And then, you know, I stopped going to my internship. Okay. But it was cool. You know, it was cool. And, and he... and. So basically, on the side, he was making so much headway that um, Jason's lyric, of course, that yeah. movie, we have, a, we have a song on that joint. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a joint with us and Buddy Guy. Huh. Okay. <coughs> uh, as the Last Romantics? Or nope. As the Juggernauts? I think it, I think it might have been as the Juggernauts. It's definitely as Breeze. Oh, cool. So it's... it's I it's, got it here somewhere, too. I got to yeah, go back. Yeah, check it, it it's, we're on there, and it, it's dope. I mean, it, it's... Uh, Hmm. It was after the second Tribe album, Time Wise, because we okay. sampled um, we sampled Tip on there. It was hmm. called Help the City. So when he goes, help me, help me, help me, we sampled that part right. of it on there. Don't come at me, Tip. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know if we cleared it. Probably didn't. But um, yeah, that was cool. Like being yeah. part of a soundtrack. And this is, I mean, I'm, I may have, by the time it came out, I... What am I, 18? Wow. So, and you're hitting some of those 
benchmarks of of the of working like the record label industry. You yeah, know, like I mean, the major label kind of things that and, happen. And he got he really got the buzz going because after that one, then we did you know they wanted to hear more music. Mm-hmm. So there was an early version of Trouble Man, and a couple other joints that he ended up playing, and people were like, "Yo, this is good." And on the side, he was working with like Andrea Martin, which is big time songwriter, mm-hmm. <coughs> and um, uh, the other writer he was working with, who's the one who had the baby with D'Angelo? Um, off the top of my head, man, I would have to look that one up. Yeah, um, damn. Another songwriter. Though. Songwriter. Well, she she became uh, just a, a huge artist. I'm, I feel I'm, I feel bad. Yeah, I'm spacing on name right too. now, but. We'll, we'll add that later. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so he's writing songs, doing his thing, just trying to trying to get in the game. And then at that point, he starts to talk to like label people. Okay. Um, for you guys, with for you, us, with you and mine, with us yeah. and mine. And that's when we ended up getting a deal with East West um, Electra, right? Which we were ecstatic about. Sure, sure. Because then that would lead to the. I don't have the record. I got some records I'm gonna pull out, but that reminded me. Because you guys were on that ill style live, yes. that live album, which was yeah, which was not live. <laughs> we performed, and it wasn't loud enough, and they ended up. I'm just dropping all in. Sorry, y'all. Um, so that they ended up throwing the voice in underneath. So you'll hear part of it is live, and then mm-hmm. other parts. But the mic was fucked up. What was the was, song that you had on there? Just one I'm track. gonna kill you. Yeah, yeah. Which exactly. is probably my proudest song I've ever been a part of. Dope. It is. It's a great fucking song. Yeah. And it's me from and my brother. Rec- from what would be a very great record. So. Yeah, and it's me and my brother, man. You know what I mean? Like, after that song, I was like, that feeling we, we talked about before, I remember finishing that song and I was like, this is some otherworldly shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to or nothing. I'm just talking about the process. Right, of course. And it's just like, if there's ever a time where I felt like, nailed it. It was that song. And there's other songs that are bigger. There's other songs that, you know, whatever. But, like, that feeling you're talking about with songs that people say that resonated, I'm Gonna Kill You is probably highest on that list to me. Is, and is that why that's the song that was that was on there? Was that supposed to be slated for the it, rec- a man, single or something? Or cause- it, The whole thing, man, honestly, it, it's weird because... Like, May wasn't wrong. Like, at this time, we had probably disconnected from May because she just was like, your music's too dark. You ain't got hits. Right. And, um, I mean, in a way, I guess she was right. But there were so many other cats who didn't have hits that we respected. Sure. <clears throat> they reminisce over you as a hit because it's a great record. Right. Slow Down is a hit because it's a great record. And we wanted to just go that route. Right, right. But I mean, she brought ice ice baby to the world. So <laughs> yeah, that's the completely opposite yeah, that's side of the spectrum. Yeah, that's a different um, standard right there. Right. And uh, we did not have anything close to ice ice baby. <laughs> no. But there was never any even like a promo or anything for the juggernauts on East West Electric. No. Right. Like nothing yeah. even. There got was, filtered there was out. yeah. We were weird. It was a weird feeling in in the in the office. Um, there would be times where it'd be like, all right, cool, we're going to come. So they would meet up, and all the artists would play a song that they felt represented them. Mm-hmm. So I remember one particular meeting where it was like, 
Alright So people are playing their joints And Busta Rhymes team Was playing something This and that I remember Adolf Played Ghetto Girl mm-hmm. Right We played Jive Talk <laughs> Amazing. When that song finished It was like We shot somebody In the face <laughs> Well, like we kind of punk rock though that you did that though like you know I mean it was rep- it was who we are right like yeah. if there's a song that at the time we were like let's give that they were like yo this joint is like what's the tempo what is like tempo's like 43 like what's going on and it was <laughs> right. like yo this is us though right like this is us and everybody who heard that record that knew us I mean I remember when we did it in, in D&D like cats were like knock on door like what the fuck is that Nice. So you recorded some of that. Uh, that stuff was at D. Yeah, because by oh. then we had gotten, you know, basically like a demo deal mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from East West Electra, and uh, we did the earlier stuff there. But certain cats believed us in us there. I mean, things that weren't great. Um, Dante had left. Okay. Yeah. So um, Dante Ross. Dante Ross had left, and we were definitely really excited to work with him. But the people that we had there. Actually, you know, like they would, they believed in us, um, but it, it just was like I guess it was it, business is business, and sure. they, and they couldn't see beyond the horizon to like the raucous era. You know what I mean? Like right, they had right. just which got, is kind of right around the corner. Was right, right around the corner, and it was like, but you know, I mean, they shelved, you know, black bastard, right? You know what I mean? So yeah. it was like in a way, you know, and at the same time, they had just picked up Timbal and Missy. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. that was, they were going in a different direction, and another direction was around the corner, and I think if they hung in there and decided to say, yo, these are the, these are the next dudes, who knows? Sure. I but, mean, you could even maybe say that for Supernatural. His album didn't come out either. Supernatural. You know? He was on East West as well. Yeah. And it was bugged because, I mean, um, Das Effects went, I think they went platinum. They right. were on East West a little bit earlier, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I mean their hits were definitely not conventional rec- radio songs. No, but they wasn't like they just I don't know maybe it was too hard to work. You gotta ask them, right? Of course, but business is business, and they dropped us. They dropped us, and um, and they let you keep all the stuff that you made as well. They or let did you us have to fight for that. Or? We we didn't <laughs> we we didn't have that conversation. Oh really? They're just like it, the, that did. conversation only got had. I guess after we um, put it out with Bob and it got a three and a half in the source. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, yeah, those are the then, guys that we then signed. Then it was like, oh, yeah, by the way, um, you know, that's we paid for that. But I forgot who was there at the time. Somebody was cool about it and was like, you know what, man, good luck. Right. And they let us... You know, they let us keep a pushing with that. I mean, because for what it's worth, I mean, when the when the Fondalum release came out, it's just a piece of it was just a piece of vinyl, and and you know, Bobito's thing at the time, which is was really amazing, the kind of um, motif he had with that label, which was like, yeah. we're not promoting anything. I'm not sending any promos. There's no artwork. There's yeah, nothing. It was it was, it was a step above a white label, if you really think about sure. it. Sure. You know what I yes. mean? Yes. Yeah. But. But it it didn't have the but you know, there's something about a white label that makes you it feels like a bootleg that yeah. felt more like a kind of a piece was, of art. It was like a finished yeah the the I mean like the sequencing and, and the sound and all of that felt complete. Yeah. But now who sequenced that record? Did Slim. You? Okay, Slim mostly because the sequence mostly. is pretty essential. He destroyed it. He 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 has that. I mean, 
sometimes we go back and forth and we argue about things, but because I know that see, because my wax is in Virginia actually, unfortunately, because I because it's from because I bought it right when it came out, so. You know, I can only reference this version, which yeah. is the promo. This is the promo of the uh, reissue, and the sequence is slightly different. I think slightly different, more joints. Yeah, there's more um. songs on it. But I mean, and uh, but I think the one that people most associate with you is the original, yeah, the original version, version. obviously, because yeah. it was so. What's funny is that maybe it didn't work like you know, quote unquote, work in the framework of like a major label that couldn't find a single per se. But when you frame it the way of like how Fondalum will put it out or any maybe those their, their contemporaries at that time it like makes total sense you know for a I, different demographic it know. definitely did I think like scratch the itch of what was gonna come next right and the timing was right for that and honestly when I think about my career timing has never really been my strong suit mm-hmm. but um that and that Regard it was. It was Bob was right on the cusp of, of like ushering in a new feeling, and um, so how exactly did that deal come about? Like, did the, the, the when you get to the point of agreeing, because it's just the second release on on the label too. Yeah, so. it was the second one. So um, you had, had you, Son of Bites, right? Another classic. classic. Those two are great companion pieces too. Yeah, you know, because they're both albums in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, um, had you already been going up to? KCR at this point in time? I mean, it, it was, you know, it was still left over with Pete. You know, like they, we were always cool with Pete. They had the, the office on 7th Ave. And before we took the deal with East West, they offered us a deal. Oh, Hoppo? Hoppo. And so basically Def Jam or Columbia. Rather. Yeah, I'm Columbia. Sorry. I'm sorry. And, and um, I, I think it was. I'm not sure why we would decided to go with East West. I think it was just we were like, "Yo, man, they're East West Electra," and they were just destroying the game. Yeah, they have this, this, and this. And right and, and and you know, retrospect, would have loved to have seen what happened to you know to, to get because they would have got us. I feel sure. You know, but Hopper would have. Hopper would have got us. Yeah. You know, they had put out Curious and Hard and to Obtain. Sure. And those were dope ass records, right? And there wasn't no pressure for this and that, so you know, you can't look back. Hindsight is what hindsight is, right? But honestly, they were always cool about it. They were so cool to the point where it was like, um, after we got dropped, we were still in contact with Pete. We were still in contact with Bob. And as far as the radio show, I remember when Bob was my, when when Pete was my coach. There was a show before the Stretch and Bob show. Oh, yeah, that's right. we could yeah. do this show. With Clark Kent and Pete. Clark Kent and Pete. Right. Which was dope as hell. I, I handed out flyers all up wow. White Plains Road. Wow. It was, it was blue and pink. We could do this flyers, and I went and put those on there. So that's I knew dope. about KCR. So when I when KCR started, I was like, yo, what happened to We Could Do The Show? He's like, no, my man's doing it now. Mm. My man Bob and Stretch. So I was like, all right, cool. So, you know... Basically, we loved the show. We were like, the show was dope. It was one of our favorite shows at the time. Right. It was that show. So there was a lot of great radio happening at that time. So. Oh, hell yeah. And Special K and Teddy Ted, DNA, Hank Love. Mm-hmm. All of that shit was like all bread and butter. Like Saturday night was the, you know, I guess that was, one of, was it 105.1 or 105.9? I think it was 105.9. 
and that was uh, it would start with um, Special K and Teddy Ted, DNA and Hank Love, and then um, Mecca, um, who ended up doing um, 88 Hip Hop. She had a right. show <coughs> also. And I love that show. There was one star for a night. They had star for a night on that show, the, the okay. show that Mecca hosted. There was one night where they had Onyx and Black Moon <coughs> up there together. Wow. Rhyming together. Whoa. Yeah. I would love to hear that. Yeah. Mecca, if you got tapes, let the world know. Yeah, because that's a pretty slept on show when you compare it to the giants of the a contemporary. A lot of shows were slept on. Um, you know, there was few, later there was Future Flavors. Of course. But... I guess it was the, it wasn't the Underground Railroad because then the Underground Railroad ended up being the Underground Railroad. Yeah, with Jay Smooth and G <laughs> Man. Exactly, but um, I forget the name of that show. But eighty eight hip hop, it was basically the radio version before. Okay, cool. Gotcha. Eighty eight. <coughs> My bad. So okay, so then we're kind of trying to pinpoint, I guess, how or, or when that release really comes out. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know. So um so we go back <coughs> and we we're, we're talking to Bob after we got dropped. So we have a meeting um with Bob and he's like, "Yo, I like the record. I want to put it out." And we're like, "All right, cool." Stupid thing. I'm just Basically, we end up saying, "All right, cool." So we put it out. We had no idea how well it would do. We had just been introduced to Fat Beats through Bob when it was on night. Yeah, the little um, shop. And we had met certain people who had worked there because we had been performing at the Near Weekend. Uh-huh, right. Okay, and, so you're, uh, you're in the mix now as a group yeah, before doing some doing of the Doing performances shows, yeah. and shows and, and meeting certain cats um, that we respected um, that we had heard on the show. Right. And um, I remember meeting Eclipse mm-hmm. outside of the Near Weekend. And then, you know, going to Ninth Street. And at that Who time... Who was working there at the time? Do you remember? Ryan Zikorski. Remember him? Yeah. Yeah. Love that dude. Yeah, Ryan's <laughs> a good dude. Ryan probably was there. Um, I think Dao Yi. Okay. Uh, no, that was... Dao Yi started working there when it was... Yeah, it was Ryan. On Dao Ninth Yee, Street. On the, when it was in the East Village. Yeah. yeah Dao Yi w- was working there when it was footwork. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, I remember Ryan being there. Eclipse worked there. Um... I'm trying to was Bill there or I think I met Bill later. But it Bill. Bill. Oh yeah, I don't know. Did he work at the shop like behind the register and shit like that? He did. Okay, but cool. He I didn't know that. Definitely did on um, yeah. on Sixth on Sixth yeah. Avenue, mm-hmm. A Street, where I worked too. Oh really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, he worked there before me. He he and um um damn, who else worked there? It'll come to me. Another artist? Yeah, a lot of artists worked at Fat Beats. Eclipse um, was hooking them up with, with Jaws? Yeah, Eclipse <laughs> is a good dude, man. Yeah, a good guy. dude. But um, so we we put we put the record out and it did well. Um, people liked it, and it yeah. felt it felt good. And Bob was um, you know, he was behind a hundred a hundred percent, and uh, you know, I can't thank him enough for that. I mean, he he liked the record. 
Yeah, I mean, it's taken on a life of its own, obviously. I don't know how often you get out and, or do shows or tour anymore because you know, I know you're a teacher and yeah. you got a job. So, um, But I'm sure over the years, here and there, people, or if you ever go online and you even look at the songs on YouTube, you know, yeah. the comments are pretty, they're all quite glowing. I mean, I'd love to, even for a moment, kind of talk about a couple of joints on that. That's you know? fine. Um, because it's, it's some of the best writing of that era, I think, for hip-hop, of that uh, ilk. I, I definitely appreciate it. Of course, yeah. Lyrically, <laughs> um, yeah, because it's a, both a level of storytelling that I think, you know, takes that, the tradition of Slick Rick into a totally different kind of yeah, horizon. It, it definitely got dark. And, it's a darker... It's sensitive. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, and like, uh, there's like this fictionalized narrative that happens in different songs. Like Lucifer was a really amazing example. Yeah. I'd love to talk about that for a second. We could definitely talk about Lucifer. So is that based on anyone else's experience that you know, or is it totally Lucifer a fictional Lucifer was like thing? Number of, a number of um, experiences kind of... It started really from when me and my, my son, my first child's mother, went to a Lamar's class. At Queens College. So we do the Lamar's class, and it's, you know, I was 18, she was 18. Wow. Uh, we met in school, uh, Adelphi University, and we fucked that up. And we're in the Lamar's class, and they're telling us about breathing, this, that, and the third. And they were like, okay, so now we're going to take a tour of um, the maternity ward, but we're going to stop at this other place first. Mm. So they take us to um, a unit with crack babies. Wow. Damn. And it was, you know, I don't know. I don't remember. I mean, the majority of the people in the class were younger people of color, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, but I don't, I don't know how old they were. But, I mean, it was Queens. Right. And it was probably free. <clears throat> probably something we had to do for whatever sure. thing, doctor, that they said you had to go. And the babies were just small and just looked struggling. And that shit just stayed with me. Yeah, I mean, I would think that image would <clears throat> stick with you. They probably are trying to do that for a reason. To, yeah, know. and I mean, you know, do your thing, prevention, I hear that. But it was kind of traumatizing. Right. And, um, you know, I had people who sold drugs friends and um i you know i remember seeing what crack did to my neighborhood right before we moved and obviously i would continue to go to my neighborhood after mm -hmm. so i saw people who were you know struggling and then it was like i was going through my own struggles <coughs> i was about to become a dad and i'm young well yeah at 18 yeah that's gotta be tricky it know? was tricky and stressful. um stressful and it just felt like well what if a dude is gonna have a kid and he's working at a hospital and he sees what I saw and he he was hustling and he was trying to be on the right side mm -hmm. <coughs> what would what would that how could that end out and um Lucifer you know just it kind of came out Right. It feels like a very New York story to me. Uh, now, obviously, anybody in any place can relate to it, but there's something about like this guy or this character, obviously, that's being informed from different places, 
but that works at a hospital. Hospitals in New York are pretty stressful places. You yeah, know? definitely. So it, it, there's a lot of people in New York. There's a lot of stuff that happens in New York City, no matter what, what borough you might be in. You know, and I've spent some time in hospitals in this city, and it's like, so um, there's something really tense about that. But yeah, and how a guy has to come, he brings that home with him, you know. Yeah, um, definitely. You know? And, and, you know, it, it's about insecurity, it's about external forces, and mm-hmm. it's about history. You know, if, if a cat had, you know, did his dirt, you always wonder how, how karma's going. Right is going to serve you. So I just figured I would wrap it all up and it felt good. Um it felt like, like it felt a, good to record. It felt like a good song. Mm-hmm. Uh Slim did a hell of a job on the track. Chris Leggio did some um you know they he co-produced it. Mm-hmm. My man Ron, the cat from actually from 225th from the Bronx that I had met at Adelphi um, was like a violin virtuoso, and he came through to Chunking, and he recorded the violin. Wow! And oh man, I wish I could find Ron now. Last I heard, he was working like at the airport or something. Mm. Could write another stressful song about that. Yes. But um, and this dude was a really brilliant, brilliant musician, and um, I'm glad that wow. I, mm. he was able to be a part of that record. I'm sure that he probably is too. You know, I wonder if he remembers. And I wonder if he ever even heard it. Right. He wasn't. He That's was, pretty beautiful, though. That's a kind of a beautiful moment where it's like you take a guy who's like, you know, probably another young man. that's a violin virtuoso. It was probably his parents probably made him learn it, and now he has a very blue collar job that has nothing to do with music. It's probably not. You know, I hope he I hope he's teaching somebody. Yeah, hopefully. You know? Yeah. But yeah. but Just last I heard, that's what. Right. You know, and I'm glad that. His talent is part of that, yeah. You know, um, that effort, and it's a beautiful song. Yeah, it's it's great. It's dark. It's intense. Yeah. Um, it it lands really well, and that's difficult for hip hop. The genre of hip hop is yeah. very limited for stuff to like really yeah, not sound for it to not be pretentious, but it also kind of get this like really dark point across too. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think I think that one worked. I think that one. Um, got the message across and made people think a little. And, right. Um, hopefully, you know, you know, desperate times, desperate measures. Right. And it, you know, I felt it was a good song. Oh yeah, you know, it's like a great Millie, song. Millie pulled the pistol. Like when I think about yeah. a song like that, like that song was amazing to me. And I, songs like that are like the kind of joints that we wanted to aspire to. Right. You know, that song to me is. Um, I don't think it's talked about enough. No, I mean, people, like, always, even when the record first came out, you know, it's Clear Blue Skies is the most, everyone's yeah, yeah, gravitating yeah. <laughs> to that. And I remember when it first came out, and I was I, uh, I was writing for magazines since maybe 94, 95 myself. So I remember journalists, you know, of that era, too, it was a big talking point because it was like, and I think the talking point was, if I can remember correctly, before we even talk about the songs, I'd love to know how that was even made. It was like, it's like, you know, this perspective of two white guys in the song, right? But it's being, mm-hmm. but it's, it's two men of color that did the song, you know? Yeah. And obviously it's a lot of white journalists or uh, non-black uh, male journalists, you know, yeah. that are writing about it. So it, by the song existing in the way that it does, it's a brilliant song. 
But what's funny is the, how it became a talking point um, by, and it got people talking in a, in a kind of a cool, creative way. I mean, I, there's no slight to the journalists that we're attracted to because obviously it's a great enough song where people want to um, pick it apart because the narrative is really special. It's, 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 yeah, it's like another very clear story, sort of like Lucifer, where it's like, um, uh, but yeah, maybe I'm going to getting too tangential on it. But now, nah, I mean, that that song <clears throat> that came from a real place. Okay. Like I said, my neighborhood had a couple of white kids who did not leave. Okay. So one of those white kids, um, I don't want to say his name because I don't want want your mama to get mad at me. (laughs) So I'll be at his house. We'd be chilling at his crib playing, at the time, probably um, Commodore 64 or something. Back at that point in time. And... I mean, he was he had game, so he had a lot of ladies. And like I said, my neighborhood changed. Um, but I never, even before it changed, he never really was interested in white girls. Right. So he was scooping up some really, really beautiful girls. And his mom was a stay-at-home mom. And I remember us there chilling, playing video games, and she's like, you know, blank, when you going to bring home, you know, you, you out here, you got a lot of girlfriends, when are you going to bring home a girl with blue eyes? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I was like, it's, and his eyes were brown, uh-huh. and I was just like, so I'm here, and I'm looking at him, looking at him he was like, get out of here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so he ain't give much thought, but I gave it thought. Sure, okay. And um, that's interesting. She would say that in front of you, as in well. front of me. Yeah. And it's so crazy because I mean, his pops was a deacon at the church, and um, they're beautiful people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do anything for them. I, I remember a couple times, the car broke down. I was on my bike. I would run, ride to the block. Be like, yo, let's go up there and help the Blank family. The car got you know broke down in Baychester. It's what we did. It was a nice, tight-knit community. Right. Um, but hearing that, I was just like, I felt a little sub right there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So at this point, um, it was really Slim and I, Kevin and myself, we were talking. Um, I had just, I, it was my freshman year at Adelphi. And he said, yo, we need to approach this whole, I told him about, you know, I was like, yo, remember when Mr. So-and-so said that? <laughs> that was pretty bug. He was like, yo, why don't we just flip it and make it about a, a conversation between a father and, and the son? So mm-hmm. it was like his idea, and, you know, I definitely executed it. I wrote it, but he, he was part of that. Oh, you wrote both all the parts too, right? I wrote both. Yeah, I wrote all parts, but I mean the, the, the you know, the, um, the start came. The seed came, you know, just talking with my brother. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that that moment, that still with me. I mean, I went to this person's wedding last summer. Oh, the same gentleman? The same gentleman. He married a black girl. Okay, good for him then. They have a beautiful, a beautiful, like, 16-year-old daughter. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just like, and honestly, the parents were there and they couldn't be prouder. Right. But at that I moment... W- I wonder if she even remembers that. You know? She probably doesn't. Right. 
And hopefully she doesn't because she looks at her daughter, her, her granddaughter, and you know she's light skinned but she's black. Right. It's, it's you know you, you ain't it don't wash out. And um, she couldn't love her more. Cool. So you know at the end of the day, it's like who knows where her frustration was coming from. She had blue eyes. She has blue eyes rather. Mm. So maybe it's just like yo, bring them somebody look like mama. Right. It could have been that simple. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You never but for really. Me, know. It felt. It felt a little dirty. <laughs> right. A slight. Yeah. It felt a little dirty. So, um, but people must have must ask you about that song a lot, like yeah. you know, in interviews and stuff like that. Yeah, but that I mean, if I'm going to be 100 percent honest, that's where it came from. And right. this is what this was like. This was like my house was here. That house was there. My mom watched him. You know, his well, so mom like basically like next door neighbor. Yeah. So this is not nobody who was like this was no fly by night. Right. This is nobody. This was like family. Right. And it just felt whatever. And then I thought about all the other families who left and, you mm, know, right. just the idea of how the neighborhood changed. <coughs> and right. it was just like it it all combined to become clear blue skies. Right. So the, the idea of, you know, just this idea of blue eyes and then a perfect day. Yeah. This idea of perfection. Right. We just really want to extend that metaphor and an amazing instrumental too. The track is, is incredible. Yeah. And so honestly, that's that, Chris, right? that 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 was Slim and and Chris Leggio. Mm-hmm. Chris Leggio played the drums on it. Dope. He played a keyboard, bass line, and that I mean, honestly, that even the, even the, the session for that one was bugged out. Right. What happened? Because when you talk about knowing, you knew. I remember going into the booth. This is also Chunk King, or nope. This was Calliope. Wow, cool. This was Calliope nice, at the same time that, um, I mean, they had, in another studio, there was, um, Lalit was the engineer. He put, he, he had engineered uh, Wolf and Sheep Clothing. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and across the hall was, I mean, uh, anybody from Duck Down, they were doing, uh, they, were finishing, they were finishing up the first Black Moon album they were working on. Um, getting that done, and it, there's no tape for that. Right. They the dude who was running that studio um, started selling other people's reels to other people. Wow. He's recycling reels, so people definitely wanted to to hurt him. Um, I heard he ended up moving to Cali. And, that was the engineer. No, the manager. Oh, the studio manager. Wow. Yeah. And then it closed down, and it was, you know... So I was just happy to be a part of recording it. But I remember the cool thing about Calliope was you had to walk up to the booth. Oh, interesting. It was the elevator or something? It was like six steps. (coughs) And you looked down, you could see the guys down there? You could look down and see the engineer. Right. And, you know, our whole crew was there, you know? Amazing. That's where Three Feet High and Rising was made, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 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 They they recorded that in there. And Did, I remember just walking down, like, what y'all think? And it was just like, <laughs> you ain't got to ask. Right. <laughs> and just certain things, you know, like just how to, you know, a lot of that was records just, you know, blending records on top of records, like mm-hmm. real, real old school hip hop production. And they just... 
yeah, you capture that. Um, yeah. The production on the on that album is is really captures that period yeah. of time well. Yeah, definitely. You know, an- another joint that I love is Epiphany. It's a little more straightforward of a song, yeah. you know, but <laughs> but uh, also great production too on it. Yeah, that was definitely the, like out of all the joints, that's pretty much most. That one was almost mostly um, Chris Leggio. Okay, like, cool. Was, you know, this joint started out more, more slim, and you know, and then. Chris would come and do some, you know, structuring, and, and then there's joints where, you know, Chris Leggio would do something, and then Slim would come and bring something. Right, right, interesting. But that joint, um, you know, that's, that's definitely, that was more Chris. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's kind of creates an interesting balance, because the stuff that you and your brother are doing is is the darker material, production-wise, yeah. too. It seems yeah, I mean, like. I mean, I did some happy production on there, too, though. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I did um, Love of Maxin. That, oh, cool. That was me. That was one of my first productions on there. Mm-hmm. Um, Slim and I did well. Slim had did um, sex type thing, and then right. I re- restructured it in the SP <coughs> because I just wanted to right. get the SP sound out. Of yeah, it. yeah. But um, yeah, the Epiphany was dope because I think that was the first one where it was just like you just really let your nuts hang and uh-huh. let cats know what it is. Yeah, I was trying to pattern that. I mean, I, special ed. I'm taxing. Yeah, is one of my favorite. Like, just talk shit records. Yeah, and that's a very specific art form in hip hop. And I too, wanted to know. talk, talk a little shit. Right. Um, and it was fun. Another <laughs> like to to kind of keep moving through the discography. This there's a group. It's funny that you mentioned Philly because there's a group that I think of the time was a great companion to Juggernauts. I'm not sure if you're associated with them at all anymore, but it was a DGO. Oh, and, definitely. Uh, definitely. That's my people. Oh, that's what's up. Yeah. <laughs> there was a certain, definitely a shared aesthetic production-wise. Big Cousin and, um, was my roommate at Adelphi. Oh, that's what's up. Yeah. yeah. Like, this was a classic um, the All-Star, All-Star Jam. All-Star Jam was classic. Yeah. I still talk to Wisdom. He stays in the Bay Area now. Oh, really? Oh, cool. And um, But, nah, literally, I mean, I shut my phone off because they would hit me. But I, oh, really? That was like, we're actually putting more music out. Oh, cool. Um, the next project is um, is Ray. Uh, he goes by Ray Fogues now, not Ray okay. Supreme anymore. Oh, interesting. Okay, and, cool. um so it's, it's basically we're combining... Like our efforts to just support each other and yeah, I mean they were dope as hell. I mean really great. These were Philly guys, all right? Or were they? Nah, where, they were from cousins from Mount Vernon. Okay, that's what's up. Big cousin is on the one, obvious wonder. The yes. obvious wonder. Right. He's on the Mount Vernon team, the first uh, New York Federation twenty nine and zero Mount Vernon team. Really? Yeah, he coached Ben Gordon. I mean, he's you know he he's a. He's kind of his own Mount Vernon classic dude. Right. He grew up right down the block from Hev. Him, my man, Dana Doggett. But I met Ray. We all met at, at Adelphi. That's why it's the AU All-Stars. Oh, interesting. So what what was the story with this, the New York to Philly EP? I think maybe that's why people sort of thought they were from <laughs> Philly. Is it that you just had to record it? You just recorded in Philly? We actually recorded in Patterson, New Jersey. <laughs> ah, that's hilarious. It was right in between. So you were kind of helped them get their records yeah, out? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. But... I, I love I, these guys. I mean, I, mean, I don't, so don't want to say like I they they didn't need much right, right. of my help. But they but were your boys or your friends, my people's, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, there was a song that they did that's kind of like uh, called Angel. You remember this joint? Yes. Which yes. is kind of like this similar vibe, like another darker narrative. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Um, 
Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, there's it's cool. This very stuff on group, Adigio and Wisdom. Yes, very Wisdom. wisdom. Yeah. yeah. So two different, two <coughs> different group. Uh, well, Wisdom solo. Adigio was wisdom two people. Also went to AU. Okay. Is one cat from Stanford, Connecticut. Right. Wicked, wicked flow. Right. Um and he um. Oh yes, Angel. Angel is, is a wisdom is a yeah. the wisdom joint, but dope. My yeah. cousin produced that whole record. Um, the obvious cool. one, the big cousin, Brian Pritchett, he produced that whole record. And were you you were around for all this stuff too? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. We were we were record that was recorded in Hempstead, Long Island. Yeah. Ray's crib. Ray's crib, not Ray from Philly though. It, the only reason why we went there because it was a studio next to the school in Hempstead. Oh okay. Yeah. But it was a cool spot. Granddaddy IU would go there. Okay. Um, it was in the hood. It was nice. And Ray was this old jazz cat. Oh, dope. Who just had a little basement studio in Hempstead that had a... I mean, the sound there was nuts. Right. It was a really good sound. Um, was he recording jazz there? Or was it... He was doing hip-hop as well? He was recording jazz, R&B, whatever. But okay, so I anybody. felt like his hip-hop sound was... Yeah. Because these <laughs> records are great. They're dirty, but, like, well done, you know? like. And, I mean, he was the one who inspired us to get a studio. Dope. Because he didn't have, like... <laughs> he didn't have like tube techs. He had like Behringer compressors. Interesting. And, okay. and DA88s. And what he got out of that was like, Jesus. You yeah. know what I mean? We did, whatchamacallit was, was was done in there, or for our record. Um, um, Which one? Shit. Damn, I really can't see. Sex type thing. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. So you, cut, you cut some songs there as well. Yeah, so it was um, it was a good look, man. Like, a couple of things definitely lined up. Mm-hmm. But Cousin was, I mean, because we were doing our thing, and then he would come with us to the studio, and he played for Adelphi for basketball, and he was like, I'm going I'm, I'm to try to make these records. And then I was hearing them. I was like, and then the Obvious Joint came out. I was yeah, like, that's such a like, great song. are you insane? Like, yeah. I heard that. I was like, and they, di- they just destroyed it. He's dope, you know. What I mean? And that's yeah. that Mount Vernon thing, you know. Like they cool with Pete and all that. And right, cool. I mean, another. I would be remiss not to uh, talk about like your time doing um, <coughs> Indelibles too, and, um, which I think would ultimately be included on the. Uh, oh yes, on Fun Crusher, yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. Another, you know, Amazing timeless Amazing uh, piece of art. Yeah. yeah, and the great album too, Matt Dude. You know, yeah. rest in peace. Rest did in an peace. amazing album artwork for this um that must have just been what come about because of once you start putting records out and you're getting some you're out and doing these shows the yeah, danny was, castro shows or whatever right like i, I met them for the first time literally at wesleyan oh company flow. show yeah so I, that was the first time i met l and and just and lynn and then after that, so it was a show that it was you a were show both at on. Wesleyan. Yeah, Juggernauts, so and Juggernauts and Company Flow. Amazing. And I want I, damn, I don't know who else, but we'd have to look it up. But it was definitely us two, and it was somebody else. Mm-hmm. Dope show, cool cats. So we get back to New York. Did they already know you? Know the record? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We knew their record. Sure, they knew our record, and we were like, "Yo, we should talk." So then it was like. New Rican more shows and then L was like, Yo, why don't you just get on some shit? They had the studio on Pearl Street. Okay. Ozone. Yes, Ozone, right. So we went down there 
That was Amici, I think his Amici, thing. and yeah. I forget the other cat. But really dope little studio, great sound as well. Um, and it was just it was all peace, you know. Like Len was Len actually has family in the Northeast, so cats. Okay. I, I went to school with Trevor Burke. Um, shout out to Trevor. He knows Len. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up one of the cats I was talking about. Um, Chris O'Keefe. Um, Len's wife um, was cousins with my man Chris O'Keefe, who also married a, a black girl um, in my neighborhood. Um, Melissa, they they have three kids now, mm-hmm. um, so it, it was it was easy. And Just was just you know he was a cool cat, um, cat I just really respected. You know, on the graph side, of course, a, a legend. Graph well. wise, I'm just a fan. I have no tag. I'm, that's right. the one element I'm really, really sad about. <laughs> I didn't get that uh-huh. <laughs> that one, but um, I, I can I can definitely appreciate as a fan. Sure, I'm a fan of all of it, but I'm the biggest fan of just like shit I can't do and I of can't course. do no graph at all. So then, how did those songs come about? Uh, what was the? I mean, obviously, fire in which you burn slow is this really at the time kind of blew people's minds. You know, yeah. the production is in, is super intense and aggro. Yeah, yeah, it was it was just nuts, man. Um, what was that session like? Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember uh, going going to Ozone and hearing the beat, and I was like, "Yo, this shit is crazy!" Because he had like the centaur and shit, and I right. just never even heard shit like that. And then you know, I just wanted to body it, and um, I did, and um, I was feeling good until I heard the rest of these dudes. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> but I felt you know like I I ain't messed it up. Right. No, not and, and then at the end of the day, it was like when by the time the record was done, it was like really dope record, and I really felt the vibe when we would perform it. So, how often did you do that? Did that happen a, a bit yeah, during that yeah. time? Right. I think we had performed. We performed the club vinyl, killed it with mm-hmm. them. Um, they're great, great performers, of course. And then um, <coughs> I think we uh, also performed it maybe at the Near Recon. Um. Maybe even an in-store of Fat Beats when it was oh, on night. Yes. Yeah, there's a um, video of that I yeah. saw as I was getting ready for this. So you know there was um there was just a lot a lot of good energy. Jaytrez is like the coolest cat in the world. Yeah, he's still and, around. Are you, are yeah, you, we still talk. Yeah, is he in New talk. York? Is he's New York in New York. Guy? He's okay. in Brooklyn. Um, cool. He's he's uh he's about to be a lawyer. Amazing. He was a bus driver for a number of years, and while he you know started going back to school for law, right. And um, you know he's he's just gonna be a public defender right now. Um, That's awesome. He's though. about the people, and um, he's he's still got rhymes. Yeah, and I would think so. He's one of those guys. I'm sure people <laughs> definitely wonder about because he never really did like a formal album. Yeah, you know he had I some mean, amazing singles. Honestly, you know the verse on there. Yeah, to me that's the pecking order. Mm-hmm. You know it's, it's it's his verse and everybody else. <laughs> yeah. That's just my opinion. Right. Just being honest. Right. Yeah, it makes for like a, when you look at your career too, it's a it's an amazing kind of addition to it. Where, yeah, definitely. And, and, it, and it kind of goes, serves as a nice bridge into like what you would basically do sort of after this, which would be um, this joint. So Prince yeah. Monthies, which I'd love to really talk about because it's obviously <laughs> got to be a pretty involved project, right? It was amazing, man. It was amazing. And, and how that came about is when we were... 
at Electra, they gave us a list of producers we would want mm-hmm. to either re- remix something or okay. give us Beach Falls. So he was on the top of the list. So right. So Paul, who's a guy I've worked with before, he did. He actually did a remix for someone one of these records, right? Um, I'm not even sure. Well, he told me he did a ring. He said he still has it too, so you should holler. Oh, I'm talking to him later. So uh, for the for what would be the the self titled Juggernauts album? That's right? so crazy. Do you know what song you no. asked him? Okay, he said he has it. So I'm gonna talk to him. Try yeah, we gonna have words because I talked to him frequent enough. I would think so. I mean, you did a whole album with the guy. He's cool as hell. And in man. fact, that's how this com- this uh, me connecting with you was was, was through Paul at his. Thing in, on in October, he did that little in that little studio. Yeah, I went through. Yeah, yeah there was yeah, a party, yeah. and I was like, Yo, "Oh yeah, that's, that's when, when I introduced myself." To yeah, yeah, exactly. we was eating pizza. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I would love to you know figure out, I guess, how it was kind of crazy. Okay, because we sent we sent them to you know it was like last stitch effort from East West to try to make us right. I guess any way worth. A, a commodity that they thought anyone would buy any of the music. <laughs> so have some producers. So let's get some producers. So who do you guys respect? And it was a short list, and Paul was at the top of it. Um, I think you know maybe Supremo, Paul, and P Rock. Nice. Yeah, that's a good maybe, good maybe team. Diamond, I right. don't I don't know. Or Large. I think Large is on Large Festivals on mm-hmm. the joint. Anyway, so they drop us. <clears throat> the Bob stuff, you know, it, it 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 did well, but you know you can't live off of that. So at the time, I was working at a group home in the Bronx, Dobbs Ferry, okay, Children's gotcha. Village, and I had a kid. Um, I believe um, I don't think she was pregnant with my daughter yet. But at any rate, we were basement apartment in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Times were tough. Doing the best we could, and still writing, still doing whatever, still loving the music, but just monetarily, you know, it definitely wasn't doing what it, you know, what was needed with a young family. Sure, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm at the group home. I'm doing my thing. Um, I didn't mind it. It was cool. I, you know, it's a weird, weird job too. Um, certain so cats what's the definitely. Actual, what's the, the position there? <laughs> Childcare worker, night staff. Night staff, okay. So ten to my shift was ten thirty to six thirty. So then stuff must jump off in the middle oh, of the yeah, night yeah, in a place yeah. like that. Yes, yeah, stuff has jumped off. Uh kids try to leave. Right. I, I caught kids uh doing things. Right. Take them to medical, so on and so forth. And I was I was in I was in a cottage that was destined for failure. Mm. Most cottages had like a very narrow age span. Eight, okay. nine, ten, and eleven. Oh, I see. My shit was eight to seventeen. Oh, wow! And they so didn't have any everybody. other cottage like that at the time. So, how many kids are there? Twelve. Okay, so it's not a lot, but I mean that's plenty, though, right? Yeah, it's plenty. So you had certain rooms with two kids, certain kids with one rooms with one kid when the kids were like really right. had issues, right? And then certain kids, most I think the most kids in one room was like six. A Whoa. big room with like bunk right. bed, bunk bed, bunk bed, bunk bed, bunk bed. Um, that's wow. where I, I mean, so at the time I was, you know, I'm doing my job, I'm doing my thing. <coughs> it's crazy because somebody else who worked there and somebody has to ask him and try mm-hmm. to 
If, if anybody knows him, Smooth B worked up there when I was up there. Really? Yeah, I remember driving up the hill. There's a big hill um, when you get off the um, the sawmill. Come from the Bronx, get up the sawmill. It's a big hill that goes up because Dobbs Ferry is right after Yonkers. The, and the hills on that side of New York are ridiculous. Right. So you had to go up. And I think part of that hill thing was to, you know, when kids would leave, they would have to literally run through the woods, like, right. at a ridiculous angle going down. Yeah, so, so I think really part of it was a deterrent. Right, sure. So, I see a dude, he's walking up the hill, and I would often stop other childcare workers because I'm like, shit, you know, I got the car, let me try to help out. You know, we, we all in this together. Dude gets in the car, I'm like, yo, like it's full beat. <laughs> but I ain't want to press him because he's going to right. work or whatever, right. and it's just like whatever. I was like, yo, man, what's good, man? How you doing, man? Yeah, my fan, whatever. Anyway, so... Hmm. That's just one side note. A lot of weird stuff happened that day. We could talk right. about that another time. Right, right. Um, but good kids, um, I don't know, maybe systematically um, really got to figure out how we going to take care. That was one of the reasons I actually wanted to teach because I got really frustrated and I got tired of yoking up kids. Right, of course. Um, you know, I, I'm not into slam you. kids. No. Although some people definitely were, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is, you know, we could have another conversation. That's its own systematic it's thing. Own systematic thing. I really should have got a song out of that one too. Um, well, it's not too late. It know? isn't. It isn't. Uh, and who knows? Um, so I get home. Tracy, my um, my first, um, the mother, of my my older children. She's like, um, you got a message. I was like, okay, whatever. Like, it's from somebody who says he's Prince Paul. Okay. And she's a big hip hop head. Oh, so she knows, right? Oh yeah, nah. She she um she's from Queens. She grew up with like Onyx. She got pictures of her braiding sticky fingers, like hair. Right. Okay. When they had the blonde cornrows and shit. <coughs> so she's official. And um, I call the number and I'm talking to Prince Paul. So he's like, I got an idea. And he's like, we should meet up. Let's talk about it. And if you're with it, then we'll go from there. Okay. He's like, all right. So I meet him. We talk. He's like, yo, first of all, I really listened to and enjoyed your record. I've been playing it on my tour. He was on the Psychoanalysis tour. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was like him, Mr. Dad, uh, Set Free, um, okay. who got the, the gallery up in the Bronx now um, with most Def. Um, Yasi Bay, pardon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, he was like, yo, we really <clears throat> were feeling this record. We think you could be one of the people here. I was like, well, whatever you want to do, right. I'm with it. Yeah. Because right. you're Prince Paul and I know it's dope. Sure, of course. I had no idea how dope it was. Right, right. Because he already had the script laid out, oh, nice. it was written. The He's whole. a pretty meticulous guy as well. And the craziest thing about this record is it was pre-Pro Tools. Mm. So he got this record done with three ADATs, the black ones. Wow. And he mixed it. He recorded it. Like, we would go and he would have the line set up because he wrote the script. So you say a line like ten times. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he'd end up sampling those. Right. And then he would shoot it back in. So 
Oh wow! I mean, just the process pre Pro Tools, what how he did this and how seamless the shit sounds. Yeah, I don't think that gets enough credit. No, the level of editing involved is like pretty amazing, and it's, and it's really it's the editing, the mixing, right. So on top of just like producing all the songs to begin with, yes. you know, too. Because he was playing me the beat, sounds like these shits are fucking dope. And then he's just like, "Yo, you you gotta, you know, I want you to write a song about blah." Right. So I would come through, and this is um, he had a studio in the basement in um in Amityville. It was it was his his mother's house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, Paul, I ain't trying to put all your business out there, but I'm just being telling the story. So we would come th- I would come through and it would just be like, yo, whatever. This is what I wrote. I would spit it for him and then I would record it. Right. But he gave a lot of free reign in regards to what you did with your songs. But but it'd be topic based. So topic it's like based. this is about so So he was like, me. I think you could handle the topic based. So right. if it was if it was a joint about the selling drugs, he would be like, You're right. gonna be a drug dealer and you're talking about this. I was like, No problem. But you already had an idea of the overall arc of this character. Tariq, Tyreek, right? Yeah. He had it all set up. I knew, you know, it wasn't going to end well for him. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, um... And it sort of starts at the ending, yeah. you know? It was just brilliant. I mean, honestly, it's... A, the crazy thing is at the time, it did not get... You know, I thought it would have... I thought it would have blown fully, you mm-hmm. know? And in a way, it did. But the staying power of it, just because of what it is... um. You know, other cats have tried to do things similar. Right. There was a Sticky Fingers joint that was pretty dope. Um, was uh, something Jones? Oh yeah, the autobiography of Kirk Jones or something like yeah. that, or something like that. That joint was not bad. Um, I, kinda, I don't think I heard. I know. I remember when it came out. I need to. I don't think I. And the craziest to thing it. about that, like, yeah, go back check that out because yeah. I remember he did an in-store fat beats for there that he came in like like a, maybe an hour late. But it was never packed. Nobody was it really came through for that one. That was another record that I mean, when we talk about slept on joints, that's a good record. Right. But um honestly, you know, like this record allowed me to, you know, do things that I never thought I'd do. I, I was touring with Paul, um, Cypher Sounds. Yeah, um, so there was an actual tour for this. Yeah, right. yeah, we, we traveled a little bit, we had fun. What was it? So it was Paul Cypher Sounds. Who else? Uh, I think Len Len might have um, been on a couple of dates with us, DJing. Um, and it was it was like we would go, they would throw a party, and we would do parts of 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 the of the record. And yeah, because it's gotta be. I mean, since there's so many other vocalists on it, you kind of yeah. you can't necessarily do all the joints, but you can do like a kind of a mix. Yeah, of you stuff. could do a, a a mix of it, and we we definitely had a nice little representation of it. Right. But it was so cool. I remember the day we shot the, you know, the video. It was in, well, it was in Dumbo. I'm right. running down the street in my drawers. Okay. Um, <laughs> getting shot at. Um, chilling with Exhibit and Sadat X. Um, so for that tra- that's you're talking about the like some sort of long form trailer, right? Yeah, for the long form <clears throat> trailer, which we, basically was the main. That's what was the actual visual to it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And you know we we we. They had it, you know. They had actors, they had extras, and they had right. dude. I mean, Everlast and Chub Rock, and just to be, you know, as a fan, you you start this. As, you know, I was I was giddy as hell. Yeah. But Paul was always just. I mean, he's just. 
he's a genius and he's a better person. Honestly, he's <laughs> right. He's a genius person. Well, what his contributions to the culture, if you will, or just to music in general, is like this is a guy that's like obviously goes way out of his way to make these like big conceptual records and people don't necessarily appreciate what goes into them but I mean so the much fact work this, yeah. and, and so much skill in, in yeah. the execution that I, I definitely don't think he, he he deserves a lot a lot a lot of credit and, and, and gratitude from the culture right and you recorded, so you recorded everything just in that, in the Long Island studio, right? All your vocals were cut? Uh, there was once, it was either the Long Island studio and sometimes we would meet up at a studio in uh, Greenpoint. So by the time you get involved, I mean, the most of the record is kind of done or like how to... Nah, I was, I was, you know, the writing was done, the beats were done. Right. But I did see the arc of like, right. it was like, yo, you know, Chubb Ross going to come in this week and this and that. And, you know, he would like, we would talk frequently and, you know... He would give me updates, and sometimes he wouldn't tell me who would do a song, and then later I'd hear the Kane joint. So, so and then was, what was the other guy? Shaw. Shaw, cool that, cat, man. He, that was he. That's like a guy from Paul. Paul's known him for a long time. I think, He's right? from Amityville, right? Um, and Shaw's, you know, Shaw's a street cat. Um, and he plays that role in the album yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, and he was in the game some more after, like I. I, you know, I dropped the ball. I'm going to just be honest. Like, after that record, I could have, I had some opportunities. Um, and I was going through it kind of with my family mm. on multiple levels. I was going through it with, with my lady, um, the mother of my, my two, my older two children. And just a lot of stuff wasn't going right. <clears throat> um, even with my crew. My brother, and my sister, we weren't as tight as we should, and mm. you know, I, you know, I, I, I gotta assume that it, it, it's little things, you know, like on this, it, right. it, it never says breeze of the juggernauts. Interesting. Okay. It says breezy brewing. It never says breezy brewing of the juggernauts, and my brother was really upset about that, and I was like, "Yo, chill, man. I ain't in a position to tell these cats how, to, you know, my name should be." But he right. was right. In retrospect, he was right. And, but in, at the same time, I felt like I just felt so grateful. I I wasn't going to be like, hold up, chill, chill. I didn't approve, you know, the credits. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you yeah. know, if you're more aware of those things, you know, you say something early on, and I'm sure it wouldn't have been an issue. No, probably not. And like you're representing yourself, right? As you you your own manager at this point in time. Yeah, correct? yeah. This time we 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 didn't have management. Um, after May James, we ended up working. We had another set of managers, uh, Crystal <coughs> and Vanessa. Vanessa is um, she worked at I believe she worked at Rowdy. Okay. And Crystal worked at um, MCA Uptown. And they were Kapow management, and um, I'm, I'm gonna say I wasn't involved, but there was some fraternizing. <laughs> to be honest, it happens. And um, you know, um, and it didn't help. But honestly, they were they were cool. They knew music. Um, uh, Vanessa was dating Chris Lighty, mm. and um, you know it it. And, and you know, I, I respected a lot of what Rowdy was doing. 
Yeah. Some great records came out yeah, on that label. Definitely. And she was definitely involved. And she's just, you know, smart individual, great person. I still see her from time to time. Right. Just around the city. Haven't seen Crystal in years. I mean, I was kind of surprised that this wouldn't have been, you couldn't parlay this into a, into either a solo record or another Juggernauts record shortly thereafter. Because yeah. it, it would have been several years until uh, Use Your Confusion yes. came out. So Yes, and a lot of that was just, you know, I mean, we put out some singles. Yeah, that's right. That were pretty honest to what was going on at the time. I mean, one, which I think is one of the greatest covers, which I regretfully don't have right now, but one of the greatest 12-inch covers well, is... Generally, Johnny. Is the um, she loves me not? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that was that's Tracy. Yeah, yeah. So that was very that was a tough time. Well, clearly because her face is scratched out on every, on single, every picture. single picture, very <laughs> maniacally. I think that. I, I think did I scratch us out or did we just? Nah, I think we they made copies of them and then art wise. It's dope. Them. It's a dope I idea. Yeah, you know, which was a dope like in between like people. Oh, you know, y'all don't do not but. That was a dope ass record, right? Yeah, you did. There are singles, yes. I mean, let's yeah. you know, you have several singles that came out over the course of like yeah. the two thousands, and they would they were really good. I mean, yeah. generally was an amazing twelve inch. You work with Ellie, quite good. Work with Ellie. Uh, shout out to Subcon. Mm-hmm, right. um, that was good stuff. So you know, but I should have done more. I was I was you know I was in a dark place. I'm not mm-hmm. on front. Um, I almost lost my kids. Oh yeah. Um, she loves me not was truth. Mm-hmm. If you listen to the record, that's how it went yeah. down. She almost moved to Atlanta. Right. <laughs> and um, I'm glad she did it. I think. Are you guys good now? Yeah, we're or, good. Yeah. You know, like she's moved on. I've moved on. I have right. another. I have another daughter. She's two. Oh, amazing. And she's you know she has become a social worker. Um, you know she's about to take um my oldest daughter. Uh, to Rome wow. on Wednesday uh, they, so she likes to travel so it's like you know but at the time you know it was it was, it was so dark because you know it's your family you, of course about yeah. to lose them so that impacted me I wish I could have done more I mean I did a couple of songs about that situation She Loves Me Not is one um, Love Venom Mm-hmm. That was there was some of that in, on there. The joint with Gene Gray mm-hmm. <coughs> on um, "Pity the Fool" um, from Mr. Land, yeah. Um, which was I did another good song on that one too. Um, my sister. Um, what was that called? On the Land joint, um, "This Morning." Oh yes, "This Morning," which I think was a single as well. Yeah. So there are yeah. records where you know. I wish it could, all could have been tied together, but right. I, you know, regardless how dark things got, you know, you still turn on the radio. You you hear somebody kill it, and you're like, I got, I got to, you know, say something, do well, something. Yeah, I mean, you're a very talented guy <laughs> with a very unique approach to songwriting too. So it's got to still be in you, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe so. But I mean, trust me. I mean, when you get older, a little bit older, and if I listen, I don't have a family, so to have kids and different relationships, um, it's not always easy to to turn all that off for a minute and make a song. You know, it's not or hook up a studio, go to a studio, or uh, it's, or it's whatever. Def- it's definitely not. I mean, I I record in my house now when I right. do do projects, but I got two year old, so she wants to come in. She needs a hug. 
So you that's gonna happen. If of course, you, you don't say no to that because this is probably it for me. Right. You know, and um, but I still write. You know, and and it's hard. You know, I've been teaching for fifteen years. Um, I teach where I grew up. I so taught where I grew up um, in the Northeast, uh, John Philip Sousa, for six years. What are you teaching? I teach English. Nice. Which is part of why I, you know started writing. I, I like words. What? To, how old are the kids? I, first, it was middle school, um, so seventh and eighth graders. So that's anywhere okay. from twelve, and if we're going to be honest, fifteen. Mm-hmm, kids, mm-hmm. kids have struggles sometimes getting out of there. Then I taught at a transfer school in Red Hook. Um, where kids were at least 16 and as old as 21. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, which was like pre-major gentrification. So when I was in Red Hook, it kind of felt like Red Hook a little bit still. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that neighborhood has changed a lot. It was pre-fairway. Um, gotcha. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, so they're reading but, books. So it's know, books, novels and stuff books, like that. Novels, poetry too? Poetry. Or? So it's, it's the shit I love. Cool. And you're assigning, you're picking in an assigning stuff. Yeah, this is the first year I'm doing um, an AP class. Nice. And um, it's hard. And I want to push you, them. Yeah, how do you pick stuff? Because if it's kit, like, you know, with, depending on the kind of class it is, I'm sure that you have to be pretty mindful of what level they can, that works, that they're comfortable with. Yeah, it's always been that way until now. Okay, like cool. Like, AP-wise, well, they're like, yo, these are the books that we need them to talk about. You can't be talking about. You know, cat and you can't do of mice and men, right? <coughs> you know, you gotta do grapes of wrath. So, still pushing the grapes of wrath, you know. Jesus, we about to be Jones, our damn self. <laughs> but um, yeah, man. Um, I love teaching, and I love, you know, like it, it, I can honestly say I've saved some kids. Cool. Um, and I want to save more. And um, that takes away sometimes from making the music. I'm not going to Sure, sure, sure. But uh, I wouldn't change it at this point. And honestly, it's like I'm not going to not do music. Um, now, have you ever, like, used any of your material that you wrote in a class? Never. You never splashed that out a little bit? Like, I've rhymed in front of kids because I had a class about rhyming. Okay, cool. That's and its own thing, though. They yeah, don't know about some of the levels of stuff know. that you've written. I mean, once a kid found out in Red Hook, and we had like a community gathering, and he was like, he he said one of my lines, dope, and that line had the N word in it, and he said to my N word, Paul, I try not to say the word anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to say it a lot. Enjoy saying. but um I just I'm trying to get away from it and that caught that was such a weird thing I had to sit down with him and the principal oh the principal heard it too it was at a like a a community gathering like an assembly yeah (laughs) but he was just trying to show love yeah and that's what I inadvertently put you on blast yeah so I had to explain to her and Mm. it was a little weird um, and you just got to be careful. You know, they, they came at Brownsville Car for stuff he said. And honestly, some of the stuff I've said before as a young breeze. Yeah. Some of that stuff is a little cringy now. 
Sure. Um, well, yeah. Homophobic. And Times change. People Times change. change. People change. And honestly, it's like, it's a reminder. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a reminder. Even as an educator, it's a reminder. Like, yo, these kids are not finished products. Definitely. As you see them now, your job is to try to help give them options for what that finished product might be, could be. Right, right. And we're always evolving, no matter what yeah. age you are. You know? Yeah, definitely. I think by being a hip-hop artist <coughs> in the mid to late 90s, too, it was, you know, it's things have changed dramatically since that time yeah. in society. And I'm, I'm, I'm never going to turn my back on who I was. And, and right, right, right. I've seen certain cats and... It's like, ugh, I'm not that. I totally, I'm not totally nothing. Because right. at the end of the day, I know how I grew up. I know how it was, and it wasn't perfect. But for the most part, I was trying to be on the side of right mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. a lot of things. And in other parts, I, you know, I was probably high or drunk, and I was writing, saying some other shit. Right. But you know, I none, nothing is like, oh God, I was a horrible person. Oh no, no I was just no, a kid. I doubt that. Yeah, and nobody is perfect either. You know, that's yeah. for sure. I mean, that's the human condition. We're a flawed species in exactly. many ways. But I, you know, <clears throat> I, I, I love, I love my kids. I live very close to where I work now. Cool. Um, I see the kids often. Sometimes, uh, <laughs> I was like in the park trying to do some calisthenics and kids went by and thought teasing me and and I love uh-huh. it I right. love it you know um, I see kids who have graduated or, or are not in the school for various reasons and uh, you know I'm trying to tell them yo let's, let's keep it clean man let's stay out these streets be careful and I'm able to have those conversations because they know I have their best interests in mind because I spent you know years trying to get mm-hmm. them to move on and graduate right. and they trust you right? and they trust me and, uh, you had good teachers too. There's some that like stuck out from from way back. I did. I did have some good teachers. Um, not many in high school. Not go front. It sounds like your father was like a pretty good like um, set a good example. Perhaps I don't know. He but. did. He did in a lot of ways. Uh, he is a terrible teacher though, uh-huh. <laughs> because he he's like he's one of these old. I'm um, Canadian man who could build a house from scratch. Uh-huh. I, you know, I could put a shelf up. Uh-huh. You know? Right. He wasn't very patient when it came to um, teaching stuff. But what he did teach me, and um, I think all of us, is that you know hard work does pay off. And if you do want to, you know, then there's not many accidents out here. You know, your success or your failure, for the most part is the end result of a process that you're in control of for the most part. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I believe that. I believe that for the kids I teach. Um, obviously not wholeheartedly, but you do have control, man, when, when you know, for your success or your failures. And, I mean, you know, career-wise, I, I live with it. You know, some people would say, hey, man, you had a great career, which it's not over. I got no. music I'm working on. And other people be like, yo, man, you really dropped the ball. And sometimes I agree with them. But that's it's me, you know what I mean. These were my, these were my maneuvers. These were my decisions, and I could live with it as is right now. I really don't. I could. I, I'm, I'm good. I, I think I, I am a part of the history of hip hop, and that's all I ever wanted to be. A part of the history. Well, yeah. I mean, that goes without saying for sure. And I mean, not a lot of people 
can lay claim to the kinds of songs that you wrote or that you and your brother made. Um, and my sister. And your sister as well. Yeah. Heroin, yes, of course. Much respect to the whole group, to the juggernauts too, because they're your actual blood sister and brother. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, yeah, and that's that's what the Juggernauts is. I mean, the fact that, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, sure, sometimes you want to think back that you could change the past in some nuanced way or one way or another. But if you look at your contemporaries from that period of time, like this sort of indie hip-hop, underground hip-hop boom, there's not a lot of records that, like, totally aged well, you know? Like, some are very much stuck up in that era, you know? But, like, that... that Debut album, that first album, and there's definitely joints I love on uh, on use your uh, yeah, confusion. That's confusion a different gets, era though. It gets a bad rap. And it I, does get a bad rap. It's 2006 isn't a great <laughs> year for no. You don't remember records as much as you nah, do. You, you know don't. what I'm saying? And it, honestly, sonically, it was a weird time. Definitely, it's like yeah, the, the gear people were using, definitely. Pro Tools was still primitive too, or maybe not. Or it was like it was kind of honestly, yeah, you know, because it was like it wasn't the full on. Analog modeling, right? Type of of plugins that people have access to now. Definitely. So I remember us. We would we would do our stuff in in Pro Tools, and then we would bring it to another studio where they would come out of the board and try to run it. Through. It was just janky. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like certain cats were able to get through that. I don't know if they. I don't know what they did. If they stayed completely. Um, Analog, or if they had, you know, but I, I feel like just sonically that record, we ain't, we, we really didn't hit the target like we wanted. Right. And it was certain joints we ended up mixing in the crib. Right. Um, and Cats did a good job, but I just don't know if, if, if timing wise, it was transitional. Right. And that, not to, and I didn't mean to and brush I'm not, over and that. And I'm not album, trying maybe. to be like make excuses for it. Sure. I just like, I think about that record a lot because, you know, and then maybe like just certain joints, they just didn't, I mean, it, for some of those records, it was the highlight of my life. I did a record with Slick Rick that Oh No right. produced. I had a record with Sada X that I produced. Yeah, Thirty Something, which is a yeah. great song. You know that, that Jay Z dropped a song called Thirty Something on the exact same day. Really, I didn't realize it was the same day. The yeah. same day. Um, I guess it was the Black album. It was on the Black album. Yeah, I remember. So Thirty Something and Thirty Something. I was like, you know, Twitter wasn't all. Right. If that should happen t- yesterday. Right. You know, that's a nice wave to ride. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it just, like, certain things just were not lining yeah. up. Yeah, that was still MySpace era, you yeah. know, which seems so antiquated, you know. And yeah, but it, it, it to me, I really, you know, I, there's a couple of people on that record that I'm really happy that I was able to get on that record. You know, like Subcon, I haven't talked to him. He's had some struggles. I was happy he was on that record. You know, Jax. Wow. Passed away. Yeah, rest in peace to Jax. Yeah. Rest in peace to Jax. Like, that's the only record I was able to get on with him. Um, you know, I got on record with Nine that I was able to produce. Yeah. I mean, honestly, even production-wise, I did a lot of songs on that record. Interesting, yeah. And I think I kind of killed it. Right, right. But once again, it's like, you know, it just ain't catch the way it should have. Do you think there'll be another, could there be another Juggernauts album? You know? I would like... I would like. I'm not going to stop doing music right now. My sister is is doing her thing. She put out a solo. She got a solo album out before me. Wow, dope. Yeah. Which you know, honestly, it it could have. You know, I wish it more people had checked it out. But well, these days it's tough to get anything to resonate because it's yes. so everything's so fractured and stuff. Yeah. So. Um, 
but my next record is it's uh it's gonna be basically records from that I had that never came out. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of just cleaning out, you know, go, you know, garage sale type shit. So it's gonna be stuff from like 2000 and I want to say five, 2004, 2005 up to 2017. Oh, interesting. Okay, and it, can it, is it one uh, cohesive thing? You think it's not cohesive? Right. I'm gonna be honest. Yeah, but I'm glad to get the joints out. Um, I think certain records are still good records, mm-hmm. and I just I'm I'm in no position to hold nothing from like my fans. I I love I just respect them so much, and a, a lot of ways I feel like I let them down just by not having enough music. Mm. So like if something like Baby Pictures came out, like I mean I'm not going to go out and perform no song, but I'm glad it's out. Yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. and then this joint right here, I mean it's bug. Like the first record on there, the oldest record on there is a joint that I did with my man Seb, and I'm talking about George Bush on it. And the last record that's on there is a song I wrote about Trump mm-hmm. called Devil's Advocate. So, um, you know, it bookends. A weird time, and and you know maybe it's me trying to tell myself like we got over that, we'll get over this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, there's other records on it that are just fun records that are definitely more about being older. Um, just trying to you know, there's maybe two joints that are just bragging and boasting. The rest of that shit is all stories. Dope. Um, so I'm excited. Just to give people music. Yeah. You think <laughs> this is something relatively soon that might be able to uh, I want to have it out. Um, spring, maybe? Yeah, spring. I know we're kind of... I didn't know that before we started this conversation. Have, yeah, I want to have it out by by March. That's what's up. Yeah. Cool. Well, man, I just got to say that, like, one, it's, like, a, definitely a privilege to be able to talk to you about your career. It was super interesting. This was fun, man. Yeah. I mean, we're talking a lot, and, you know, I know it bounced around a lot, but I appreciate no, I appreciate that we're doing it, and whatever you could tie together, and, you know, to be able to talk about cats that I worked with, and, um, you know, there's... there's a lot of other stuff, and it's like, it's, after you start talking, like, damn, I, it's been it's been a lot. It's been cool. Yeah, I mean, just like all the you know in the early years, all the studios you were working out of, like you kind of there's you know with the Juggernauts and then with uh, through Prince Paul, this Prince Amongst Thieves, and then everything after, all to for that stuff to happen while you have like you know a lot you know a real personal life with a real life stuff going on, family, yeah. jobs. You know, it's uh, it's definitely a very true to life story. You know, it's like a, you know, I think there's a lot of people that can relate to that. You know, that maybe they put one record out or something, and and you know, you do that for the love too. But I mean, the fact that there's like really timeless material songs that people can go back to, and but also that they can just like really, I think you're probably echoing a lot of people's lives and just talking about where you've been too which is that that's like kind of the most important thing i think i get out of even doing this show is like it's dope to talk about songs and records and, and like kind of reminisce a little bit yeah. but there's obviously a much larger human story there too you know yeah, yeah sure. it's, it's bug you know like and it it's a continuum you know i think about my son and um I can't tell him nothing, you know, he does his own thing. But he actually put out a record that I felt was really dope. He did. 
yeah, my son, he he produces and he rhymes too. But the the first record he put out, um, a group called The Higher Up, like two years ago. Oh wow, yeah, you'll check that. And um, you know, it's it's like it's so dope that this has been like such a big part of my life, and without pressure, I've passed on um, an appreciation to you know to continue. The culture, the art form, um, that's important. You know, I think about cats, you know, like, got a lot of respect for Q Unique. He put out a record um, last year, and we used to, you know, we used to work together at Fat Beats. And, you know, his, he took, you know, I see stuff where he's talking about how his son is playing guitar. And, you know, it's just like that continuation is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so, just as, as as a family and, and, and as a culture, it's like we need to do that. I, I often wonder if, if enough of that's going on. But it is. You see cats like Chris Rivers, you know, continuing, you know, the legacy of of Pun. And it's like... Even uh, Paul's son, Paul yeah, Jr. Yeah, yeah, Paul incredible Jr., DJ. You know, incredible DJ, DJ with, um, hopefully he's... You know he'll still be working with. Um, oh yeah, little Uzi Vert. I guess he just retired, but we'll yeah, see. Yeah, let's that. see. Let's see how that goes. That has not been the first time someone said that. Exactly. In exactly. But yeah, just yeah, a continuation yeah. of, and it's like, it validates the music. It validates right. um, what we do. You know, hip hop was supposed to be so fly by night, and you know, album sales, whatever this and that, right. that that gets sullied because you got other people, other factors in there trying to push certain things and to make sure everybody does their radio song. And um, the culture, you know, if, if you're always focusing on that, you know, the, the, the actual continuation um, is more difficult, you know. Oh, yeah. That's the hard part. Yeah. You know. But um, it's been good. I've met great people, man. You know, I, I, I haven't even talked about, um, you know, like DJ Bull or somebody else. Who I, I met at Fat Beats. He he has he helped us like a lot of the juggernaut shows, like the tightening of, of the show that I, I attribute a lot of that to him. And oh, cool. He actually is um, the hip hop nutcracker. He's like one of the he's the DJ for for that tour. Mm-hmm. And it's you just meet people and you see, you know how they continue after you know certain eras. You know that there was like one juggernaut era with him and. He, you know, seeing how he moved on, and now there's other things I want to do. Um, I always want to do music, but there's there's just other stuff I want to do, in you know, in reference to education. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm gonna work on those, and hopefully, as I get going, we could talk more about that later. But yeah. um, you know, it, it this music has saved more lives um, than than it's. Um, negatively impacted and mm. I don't think it gets the you know the, the proper respect and um, I'm just happy to be a part of it man yeah. yeah that's what's up man and I'm, I'm, I'm happy we could do this conversation oh, I'm yeah. a fan I've been a fan for a long time so thank you Pete yeah. thank, thank you, you. Pete. I really appreciate it yeah for sure you, I appreciate it man right. cool peace man that was amazing as always much respect to you guys for listening and tuning in and subscribing to the show The Houseless my name is Peter Agassi I'm the host and producer of it and um, I'm going to close this one from the Juggernaut's second album, which was pretty slept on. You know, we talk about it in the, in, in the conversation, obviously. 
this came out 10 years after their debut and even now it's, it seems ancient you know it's 2000 that came out 2006 use your confusion and there's a joint in there i like a lot with my man sadat x on it it's called 30 something i think it's pretty relevant to a lot of my listeners here still and no matter how old you are um it's just about making a change and trying to live a slightly better lifestyle you know, so it resonates with me every time I listen to it. And I thought I'd share a portion of it. I'm not going to play the whole joint and it'll yeah. take us out yeah. on this all new conversation with the one Bruce Lee Bruin. Yeah, Shouts to him and to the whole Juggernauts group and Uh-oh. extended family. Thank middle you guys again crisis, so much for tuning brothers. in. Definitely in the middle of a crisis. You're busting. Listen, I'm on some OG Read more, trying to be sure not to take that downhill detour. I'ma eat raw vegetables, watching my cholesterol, stressing all, so I could stay blessing y'all brothers. It's crunch time, let's go, yeah. Let's get it, do crunch time, and oh, yeah. I could do a set or two, the scene is rough. I seen some veterans treated like senior citizens with niggas like I seen enough And stay shouting out when you gon' quit and it's like we getting aged out on some menudo shit and just getting squashed what? But no pressure don't see me Cause if I'm washed up I'm so fresh and so clean clean like outcasts I outlast so understand me brother Until I say I'm too old for this shit like Danny Glover The weapon is lethal when repping my people Fuck a old school when stepping to see you getting medieval you can't tell us nothing We spare Evers cousin I'm from back then bro When the phrase was fresh For sure black From Belas to Levi's Before that When Michael Jackson Those look like KRS Listen Middle age crisis If you stay nice It's always your prime time I flow with some fine wine Cause I don't be OG With no peace of mind Keep my grind At 30 something Middle age crisis If you stay nice It's always your prime sexy. time I flow with some fine wine Cause I, I see y'all OG With I'm on some OG, like I'm surprised, my time divides, let me get in the buns, give me a minute, hun, so tempting, but damn, I'm all empty, pop a yo hand.